This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, available on most podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Acast, TuneIn, Pocket Casts, Deezer, Breaker and Stitcher. Coming up on this week's episode, we'll have our regular segments, including the AFLW Injury Debrief, the lowdown with Luana Williams. She plays AFLW Fantasy Football with Jack Hooper and AFLW Tipping with coach versus coach Nicole Grays versus Lisa coach Kiwi Roper. Our feature guests for this week include Valerie Moreau from the Southern Saints in the VFLW competition, Jason Farrell the coach of Glenelg in the SANFL women's competition, John Taylor the head coach of the Apsley Hornets in the QAFLW women's competition, head coach of Swan Districts in the WAFL women's competition Adam Dancy and Lauren Gooden, who kicked three goals for the Nightcliff Tigers in their elimination final victory in the NTFL Women's Premier League. But first, the latest women's footy news. We begin with the AFLW and the two NAB AFLW Rising Star nominations for this week include Richmond's Ali McKenzie and West Coast's Michaelia Bowen. The match review officer has laid three charges. Kiara Bowers of Fremantle was charged with tripping Jessica Richner of the Brisbane Lions. Uh, she can accept a reprimand with an early plea. Lucy Single of the Gold Coast Suns was charged with forceful front-on contact against Alicia Jantz of the West Coast Eagles. She can accept a reprimand with an early plea. And Vivian Saad of the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos was charged with forceful front-on contact against Taylor Harris of Carlton. She was offered a one-match sanction with an early plea and she had has accepted that penalty. In some sad news out of Tasmania, the Tasmanian State League women's competition has disbanded. Five teams participated in the competition last year during COVID-19. However, only three teams put their hand up to participate for the 2021 season, they being Clarence, Glenorchy and Launceston. With only three teams willing to participate, AFL Tasmania has elected to disband the competition and those clubs will now move into regional competitions. The original Tasmanian Women's League was formed in 2007 and the last few years it was taken over by the TSLW so it's sad to see after some 14 seasons State League women's footy in Tasmania come to an end. Let's head overseas and we go up to AFL Europe where they've made the difficult decision along with AFL Scotland to postpone the 2021 Euro Cup, which was meant to be held in June in Stirling, Scotland. This will now take place in Amsterdam on the 16th of October. Now, a few things have happened because of that move with AFL Netherlands now to host the tournament. AFL Scotland have been given the hosting rights for the 2022 version of the Euro Cup, which will move back then to the June window. Now, the nine-a-side Euro Cup, of course, is a nations-based tournament. The AFL European Champions League, which is the premiers from each of the country's leagues, uh, they were meant to... Uh, participate in October in a Champions League. It used to be in April. It's now been moved to the back half of the year. That will no longer take place in 2021. It has been cancelled to accommodate the Euro Cup. And as such, when the 2022 tournament does roll round, uh, teams will need to re-qualify for the tournament, as most of the teams that were going to take place were premiers from 2019. And AFL Europe judged it as it's uh, since it's been since a long space of time uh, between tournaments that uh, teams 
teams should have the ability to uh, recompete for entry into that. So AFL European Champions League now moved back to 2022. Across to New Zealand, they've also had a postponement. The uh, AFL New Zealand Academy Tour versus the Mornington Peninsula Junior Football League, which was meant to take place uh, in April just after Easter uh, due to ongoing health concerns and travel restrictions. Uh, It has been pushed back now until uh, Friday, October 8th to run through to Tuesday, October 12th. And that's your latest women's footy news. The Lowdown with Luana Williams. And it's time for our AFLW Injury Debrief. It is The Lowdown with Lawana Williams. And it's great to have physiotherapist Lawana Williams on the line to talk about all the injuries coming out of AFLW Round 5. Now, of course, Lawana, great to have you here. We'd like to be talking no injuries. Unfortunately, we do have quite a number of injuries coming out of this round. Yeah, I do feel like round five has been a little bit bittersweet. There was quite a lot of things I felt that could be celebrated over the weekend. With a bit of a cloud, I think, over the fact that there have been a number of injuries and a number of quite serious ones as well to have happened. I guess we want to start at least on a positive note before we go through the bad news of the injuries. The positive thing being it was the inaugural AFLW Indigenous round. Yes, definitely something to celebrate, I think. First time that the AFLW has done this. And Auntie Joy Murphy being selected as the AFL Indigenous Round Honoree. Uh, I suppose the men have had uh, an Indigenous Round for quite some time. So it is great to see that something that has been incorporated into the AFLW. Uh, It provides an opportunity for those of us involved in the sport to celebrate Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander culture as well as our Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander players and those involved in the game. It is something that I really think probably needs to be happening every day of the year. We should be uh, taking acknowledging um, our traditional owners. But this does also give us, um, give us the opportunity just to raise some awareness and be aware of the ongoing need for reconciliation in our country. So, yes, great to see this has been included into the AFLW picture. Let's turn our attention to the injuries coming out of round five of AFL women's football. We begin with the Adelaide Crows, Aloise Jones with a shoulder injury. As I mentioned last week, there are a number of different injuries which could fall underneath the shoulder uh, umbrella. And we don't specifically know what this injury is. So some examples of shoulder injury that might occur could be dislocations. It could be a procedure injury, perhaps a tear to some ligaments or muscles in the process of making a tackle or bending someone, something along those lines. The mentioned that she had a pre-existing shoulder injury and I did notice that it was taped. So I wonder if it is just maybe something that a bit of a niggle for something that was already sitting there before the game had started. But either way, I imagine that there will be quite a lot of time spent with Fizia this week just working out how bad that injury is and how long, if at all, she's going to need to be out of action. So let's move to the West Coast Eagles. There was a couple of injuries for them uh, coming out of the round. Uh, we begin with uh, Taylor Breslin with a hamstring injury. Yeah, West Coast, for West Coast. They seem to have just um, this sort of ongoing, ever-increasing injury list over there out west, don't they? Um, you're right, we haven't spoken about hamstrings, I think it was that round one or round two. So it is a muscle that is really quite prone, prone to injury, period, in, in all people. But in AFL, particularly because of the way that it's used and the amount of pressure that's put on during the game. So a bit of a recap on the anatomy. It inserts on the pelvis, so it's, um, the muscle starts on the pelvis and then comes all the way down to below the knee. 
attaching to the tibia, which is the, the bottom bone of the knee. And so as a result, it, it goes across two joints. And that is really one of the things that makes it a little bit more susceptible to injury. It has two two main jobs, I suppose. One is to bend the knee, and the other is to stop the knee from straightening too fast in motion, such as kicking. So they would be what I would call perhaps the, uh, the structural type jobs, but it also is really heavily involved in other aspects of stabilizing the knee and when you do things like running, uh, jumping, and I guess kicking as well. So I guess the fact that these are all movements that are very common in AFL, particularly if you consider running, bending forward, so the muscle really is on full stretch when that is happening, it's probably not surprising that it is an injury that we see uh, a fair bit but, um, in both games, the men and the women's game. Um, but hopefully this isn't too much with this injury and she will be able to play again soon. Uh, with the Murrah Cameron of the West Coast Eagles, they've just put down a leg injury, so that can obviously um, be a number of things. I know the commentators on the Fox footy coverage were speculating maybe it's something to do with the shin area as that was heavily taped. Yeah, I mean, leg, I did chuck when I saw that leg could be, it could be really anything, couldn't it? Um, yeah, I, it's hard to say without seeing it. Um, I feel like if you put a lot of padding around an area, it could be as a means of protection. So perhaps if there's a pre-existing bruise or a bit of a bump or something along those lines, you might put something around that area just so that if it does get hit again, it doesn't hurt as much. Possibility, I suppose, that it could be uh, in conjunction with that. It could have something to do with that. It could also be something completely different as well. It could be completely off the mark here. Unfortunately, we've had quite a number of knee injuries coming out of this round. We know with confirmed ACL, we're talking Deanna Berry, Olivia Purcell, Jordan Membry. It's been confirmed today, Lily Postlethwaite. And for the Gold Coast Suns, we have an MCL injury. Uh, Sarah Perkins uh, will not take part in the remainder of the season. Now, just to again explain for those that may have missed some earlier episodes, what are we talking about when we have a difference of, of MCL and ACL? So MCL stands for medial collateral ligament. We actually have two collateral ligaments on each knee, a medial one and a lateral one. A medial ligament means it's on the inside of the knee, and that's what um, what medial really means actually is in, in the midline. And then the lateral collateral ligament is on the outside of the knee. Probably something that I haven't mentioned when talking about ACLs, but the the job of nearly of most of the ligaments around the knee is, is to support it and to provide stability. I think we talk a lot about ACL because that's the one that we hear most about, but the MCL has a similar role just in a different part of the knee. So it runs, like I said, on the inside of the knee, and its job is to stop that inside of the knee from opening a little bit too much. Um, if I suppose when we, when we don't have anything injured, it's a little bit hard for us to know. But if we didn't have these ligaments around the knee supporting it, we would be lacking quite a lot of stability and it would be making movement a lot more difficult for us. So that's what why these ligaments are there. Having one damaged, the rehab process really is probably going to be a little bit similar, I would say, to what the ACL would be in, in regards to... Um, recovering the ligament, so letting, giving the ligament time to heal, um, whether or not there might be surgery, I'm not sure about that. And then use um, recovery post that, sort of increasing strength and uh, function and getting back to being able to play and making sure that the knee can manage or hold the, the stresses that are put on it. Um, like I said previously, when we're looking at getting return to play, we want to make sure that, one, the structure is actually healed and 
but we also make sure that that structure doesn't get injured again as well. And uh, I just saw online actually an Instagram post from uh, Jackie Yorston, who obviously did her ACL uh, during the preseason. She actually talked about saying for the first time in two months, you know, she she was walking around again without crutches. Is that a, a typical time frame uh, for for footballers to have at least the aid of crutches for say a, an eight week period or so? Oh, the, the actual specific time is probably a little bit hard to be definitive about, but using crutches uh, post-surgery, yes, would be quite common. And that would be due to following on from the surgery, there probably would be some weakness within the knee and it can be quite painful to try and put your full weight through that part of your body if it's not quite ready to handle it um, or it's been damaged from the injury. So the crutches would be there just to sort of give the leg a little bit of support and sort of decrease the pain. And another thing I want to touch on about the ACL is, I, I guess, how players know that they've done it straight away. Perhaps those who have done an ACL before, um, we were actually calling the VFLW on Sunday, the Western Bulldogs and Hawthorne game. Unfortunately for Jess Trend, um, she has done her ACL for the second time. Um, when it happened, you could see immediately she punched the ground. Um, she tried to almost shoo the trainers away because obviously there's that emotion of it's happened. And I guess what are the telltale signs for the players that when this injury occurs, you know specifically it is this injury? Yeah, well, I have fortunately never had an ACL injury, although I am touching wood as I say this because I'm playing for Netball tonight and I might potentially jinx myself with that statement. But from what I understand is that um, people who do their ACL, they know that something has happened straight away. So there's a, a sensation within their knee or they can feel that something has gone. In the case of when you are doing this for a second time, I would suspect that it will be a very similar feeling to the first one, which would mean that your body has an idea of what happened the first time and it's, it feels pretty similar. So I think it, it may have happened again. Um, we were also told it, taught at uni, and I don't know if this is actually the case, but there's quite often an audible pop that happens as well with the ACL. But, yeah, my I think players probably just have a sensation within their knee and then they know that it's gone. And I guess really ACL is quite the talking point at the moment with um, injuries to Olivia Purcell, Deanna Berry and Jordan Embry and also just the recent announcement of Lily Postlethwaite also uh, damaging her ACL in round four. And the conversation is probably going to keep going because we do hear of ACL injuries quite a lot in AFLW. So... As I was just on before, players tend to know, or my understanding is that people who do their ACL tend to know that something has, has happened and that's when the train will be coming onto the field. And a couple of the articles that I read about these injuries were saying that we could see that they were getting tests done on the side of the field. And this is something that's not uncommon for ACL. We see it quite a lot of some gets injured and they're taken off, the, off to the, off the boundary line and then maybe also taken into the sheds if more assessment is needed. And that's really just a preliminary assessment to establish what has happened and what the injury is. And I guess if it's happening on the field, it's also probably to establish if they can get back on the play at all during the game. In saying that, the best way to actually work out if you have had an ACL injury, and it's also probably the best way as well for the MCL injuries we talked about before, is through imaging. And that's what we, when we hear um, tests are confirmed or they're waiting to undergo tests confirmed, this is what they're referring to is imaging, normally an MRI, to just say, yes, okay, this is definitely what has happened. We've got ourselves an ACL injury. Once that's known, 
it's then looking at where do we go from here and in most cases that normally is surgery to repair the ACL. Um, and then following on from that, it really is just quite, it's quite a long recovery time. I think it's not a case of, okay, I've had my surgery done and now I'm ready to hit the gym again and I should be back and playing again quite soon. It, it takes quite a long time. AFL players, if they do their ACL, are out for a season and it's quite common for this to occur even in the men's competition and they have a season that's more than twice as long as the AFLW. So it's quite a long and it's a graduated process with, with milestones along the way which the rehab team would be hoping that um, people would be achieving. So in the initial stages of recovery, probably a focus on knee movement, engaging muscles around the knee, um, particularly the quads. They can sometimes get a little bit silent after, um, after the injury and through surgery. And then looking at weight-bearing and potentially normalising the gait pad. So we were just talking before about crutches and the need for crutches. And so that's just really about getting uh, the person or the player, whoever's um, undertaking rehab, comfortable in putting weight through the leg, making sure it's not hurting too much and, and really making sure the muscles are engaging the that they should be. And then really after this, it's just about progressing these principles and um, sort of adding a little bit more on as time goes on. So looking at increasing strength around the knee um, and also looking at balance and coordination, which is also quite important because having a strong muscle doesn't necessarily mean it's doing what it's meant to be doing. So you want to make sure that the muscle is actually supporting the knee as it should be doing that. And so ongoing rehab would just continue to build on and um, build on the strength and the balance and the coordination and over time in, incorporating different aspects of activities such as running and jumping and then ultimately moving on to sports-specific activities and game day drills. So very, very brief overview of what is quite a long process following ACL surgery. Yes, indeed. It's um, it, it's not only tough, I guess, physically, but uh, also mentally. And, you know, we, we hear of things like rehab buddies, for example, you know, other players that have done ACLs, even if they're not from the same team, just texting each other just to uh, talk them through. Because um, I guess the, the one key thing about all this process and everything that needs to be done is, is this one important word, patience. Yeah, exactly. And I guess when we talk about um, the reoccurrence of the ACL injury, if you've, had, you've been out for an entire season... Um, having done your ACL once and then you come back and you're all ready to play again and then feeling it go again. And I imagine that would be quite deflating and very, very frustrating because you know what the process is that you have to go through. And I imagine it's not an easy, it's not easy at times as well. So you're right, there probably would be um, a lot of that going on too. And for all those players that have done the, the serious injuries, our thoughts with them and we look forward to them being back out there in 2022 and running around performing in the AFLW. We know they'll all have a successful rehab. Once again, thank you, Luana Williams, for joining us on your program, The Lowdown with Luana Williams. We look forward to your company next week and uh, fingers crossed that uh, we have less injuries than we have had coming out of round five. Oh, yes, please. I very much hope that. And again, wishing everybody who is on an injury list a speedy and safe recovery. She plays AFLW Fantasy Football Podcast. Now, if you're a serious AFLW fan, you are certainly on sheplays.com.au and playing along with the AFLW Fantasy League. And you're always looking for the best value, the best players 
particularly as we come into the second half of the year to see if you can try and slowly claw your way up the ladder. And to help us, we've got on the line from sheplays.com.au and Supercoach Talk, Jack Hooper. How are you, Jack? I'm very well, Peter. How are you? Always looking forward to talking fantasy football. Some interesting spanners being thrown in the works, uh, particularly for those, for example, that had Jordan Membry or Deanna Berry in their side. Uh, unfortunately, ACLs happen, so obviously it's terrible for the team and terrible for the players. For fantasy players, now they've got to start making some decisions as they uh, try and change that player or move them just to the bench because they've only got their two picks. There's a lot to, to try and plan out, particularly when, as I say, Jack, injuries do throw that spanner in the works. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's one of the big reasons we've got those two trades every week um, because, as you say, injuries happen. Well, let's talk about who's performing well in the park and who will be out there for the next round of uh, AFL women's football. I want to obviously start, as we always do, with the uh, number one uh, points getter for the week. And in fact, it was a close call in the end, wasn't it? it? It was just five points of difference from players on the same team out of North Melbourne. Emma Carney just getting the edge on Jasmine Garner. Yeah, yeah. I think the whole whole North Melbourne midfield really... Had a good night. Um, that was one area they've just mauled the Blues in, um, especially with no Maddie for Sparkers. So, and at the top of that was obviously Carney and Garner. But I think the whole, really, it was a good performance from the whole North Melbourne team, and that kind of showed throughout all their scores, I think. If we look at that game, because it was always going to be a crunch game for, for both sides, Carlton, to try and keep their finals hopes alive, North Melbourne to stop the bleeding, they'd, they'd lost two in a row. So we're expecting both sides to throw everything at it. Was there anyone for Carlton that actually stood out, that particularly if someone had them in their team, that, okay, Carlton lost, but I got some fantasy points out of that? Yeah, well, there's one who's been in great form the last couple of weeks is Darcy Vessio. Um, she's had a score in the... She had a quiet start to the year. She was often sort of around the play, but not actually getting her hands on the ball. But the last couple of weeks, she's just um, come to life and she's the best football I've seen her play for quite some time. And, you know, she's got scoring score in 140s last week and then something in the 100 and stuff. She's here at 137 this week. Um, and she's coming up against Geelong this coming week. Um, so that would be one I'd consider getting in uh, this week. Uh, Mua Laluisi as well. has been another good one for the Blues. Um, I think she got like 130-something from memory. Yeah, 131 um, was her score on the weekend. So. I guess two players at either end of the ground, the Blues, who stood out. It's interesting, isn't it, how some of these forwards who had a really sluggish start to the year are starting to pick up form. I mean, one player I look at is Katie Brennan. And uh, if, if you bring up her scores now, uh, players per point value, she was uh, 339.55. But if you look round by round there, Jack, for Katie Brennan of Richmond, um, she's slowly, slowly building up some momentum, very similar to Darcy Vessio. Yeah, so she started out 58 and 73 in the first two rounds and then went 138, 147, and 173 when Richmond finally got a win. So it's almost like the closer they're getting to a win, the more her scores are going up. But um, she's now, after that, averaging 118, and that includes two quite low scores. So could we want to keep an eye on? Um, $40,000, so not, not particularly cheap, but becoming increasingly good value if she can keep that up. 
The, the one thing about fantasy football is a team may lose, but you may win. We talked about it with uh, Moola Lovey and Darcy Vessio. For those that, that stuck fat, and, and obviously Kiara Bowers in a lot of sides, I'm imagining, um, 200 points for her on the weekend, so another solid performance. Elise Parker for GWS. They lost on the weekend to the Western Bulldogs, but Parker wraps up 177 points. So they may lose, but you still win. Exactly. Let's take a look at some other players as we go through. People are keeping an eye on some of the young talent, particularly the uh, NAB AFLW Rising Stars. The one that a lot of people may have put into their side because they've gone, she's the number one draft pick. She's probably low value. She's got to be good. Ali McKenzie, can you talk to us about Ali McKenzie's year and uh, her result on the weekend? Um, she was named finally after five rounds as a NAB AFLW Rising Star nominee. Yeah, sure. Look, She's had she's been pretty good all year, um, without having without sort of absolutely setting the world on fire uh, in terms of fantasy points. But she went ninety six and ninety one for the first two rounds, then broke through for one hundred and seventeen in round three, then back down to ninety eight round four, then back up to one hundred and nineteen in round five. So she's been fairly consistent in that kind of range, which is not um, not setting the world on fire, but it's still. $288 per point, so it's still pretty good. The other NAB AFLW rising star they're interested in looking at is from the West Coast Eagles. It's Michaelia Bowen. Now, uh, Bowen is in her second year of the AFLW. She was actually originally recruited to the Eagles, not through the draft, but as an Eagles Academy underage selection ahead of their uh, first season back in 2020. So for those that have stayed with Michaelia Bowen, how did she track on the weekend? On the weekend, she got 122 points, um, which was her highest for the year, setting her next highest back in round two, which was 121. Um, she's been a bit up and down in that time. She's gone from had a 79, a 71, a 90. But um, on the weekend, 122 points, so well-deserved spot in the team of the week. Now, this is something you can explain to us about the game a little bit more. We, we touched on it a few weeks ago about playing it and stuff like that, about things that could affect points, as in uh, take away from what could be a good performance. Because Bonnie Dugood and Isabel Huntington, uh, the Bulldogs named them as their co-MVPs of the game because they both kicked three goals. I think it was something like they both had 10 disposals. They both had the same amount of marks from that type of uh, general stats point of view. They could not be separated. But... They are separated on fantasy points. Bonnie Toogood, 164 points from round five. Isabel Huntington, 132 points. So can you explain some of the factors about, okay, on some of the things that we normally put down for disposals and goals, they're identical, but what are other elements that can change that result when it comes to fantasy points? All right, well, the four main categories that add points as I've said before, a contested ball, ball movement, uh, pressure slash defense, and scoreboard impact. And then the main thing that costs points is clangers, which is just a kind of catch-all stash they're stuffing up. Um, so contested ball, that's uh, winning the ball at the contest. So contested possessions, um, clearances, the, kind of, the players who are always in and under or doing the tough stuff, they'll get points. Uh, no, then there's ball movement. So that's once you've got the ball, what do you do with it? Um, and obviously pressure and defense is the stuff you do when you don't have the ball. And then there's the scoreboard impact. That's with kicking goals 
or even behinds directly, and also helping to set up scoring shots within your team. Um, so a goal assist would be worth six points. A score involvement, which, which is, I think, just where you're in the, involved in the chain of possession that ends up as a scoring shot, I think it's three points, um, as well as a goal being something like 12 points. Um, and then there's, as I said, playing as those are minus three each time you do that. So stuffing, not stuffing up definitely helps. Um, as far as Bonnie Toogood's score, she got 61 of her, of her 164 points came from ball movement and another 69 came from scoreboard impact with just 34 from both contested ball and pressure and pressure and defense combined. Um, so I guess that's probably being a forward who's maybe coming up the ground a bit and helping to send the ball inside 50 as well as being the one inside 50 kicking the goals. Um, and Huntington, so yeah, she's got 69 of her, of her points, of her 132 points from scoreboard impact. And then, Zero for pressure and defense, uh, 39 for ball movement, and 27 for contested ball. So um, that sounds, I guess, Huntington's scores to, looks to me, I didn't, I didn't actually see that game, but to me, Huntington's score looks more like what you'd expect from more of a stay-at-home forward who's, do, who's doing well, where a too good score is perhaps more reminiscent of a player who's, who's a player who's being dangerous around goal, but also kind of working up the ground and then helping move the ball into the forward line. Um, so that kind of high half-forward role. It's just from looking at those was probably what I would expect led to that. Um, and so within those categories too, we've got, um, within the ball movement category, for example, we've got, instead of kicks and handballs, like a lot of fantasy systems, we've got uh, meters gained, which we then weight according to a player's disposal efficiency. So that's so instead of one instead of giving up points for how many times they've had the ball, it's more what they've done with it. Have they how far up the field have they got the ball? Have they helped have they retained position rather than kicking to the opposition? And you know, have they sent the ball inside fifty, that's more points. Have they helped set up goals again, as we said before, that's more points. Um and so unlike, but as I said, unlike other fantasy systems, some people may be used to, it's not really built around just having lots of disposals. I want you to put on your doctor's coat for the moment. We're going to diagnose a side. Um, I had this sent through to me uh, a number of weeks ago, but I thought I'd try and raise it now. This was after round three. Uh, this is by uh, Matthew Murphy. Uh, I think he's Matt M underscore 78, I think it is. Uh, he's got his team, the Aussie All-Stars. Now, at the moment, on the uh, sheplays.com.au AFLW Fantasy League uh, leaderboard, it's currently sitting at 44th overall uh, for round five, scored 1,817 points. Now, this was the team after round two, and you'd go into round three and score his lowest score, 1,653 points. Now, I'm imagining there's some minor changes that are being made to the team, but I'm going to read out some names here. This is the squad, and let's see if we can maybe try and help out Matt with some better value. This is what he went for from the back line. Swanson, 
That's Emma Swanson, Chelsea Randall, Stacey Livingston, Harriet Cordner, and Meg McDonald. Across his midfield, he had Monique Conti, Shani Norder, Tani Brown, Georgia Patrikios, Vice-Captain Kiara Bowers, and Captain Erin Phillips. Across the forward line, he had Sabrina Duffy, Taylor Harris, Michaelia Hyde, Jackie Voigt, and Dakota Davidson. On the bench, he had Sarah Allen, Eliza McNamara, Mimi Hill, Brianne Moody, and Bella Smith. So if we look at that side, from off the top of my head, I reckon around the forward line is where you can get some improvement, maybe one or two players on the bench as well, but you mainly want to focus your on-field talent. Forward line, probably we're looking to try and repair him. So what's some players that we can try and find for him that might help out Matt and try and improve his Aussie All-Stars? Right. Well, uh, let me just let me see. Just forwards. Yeah. Okay. Tegan Cunningham from the Demons. Uh, quite last couple of weeks though. Uh, so that, I think that's this can be one of the problems with, uh, with just looking purely at dollars per point once you get this far into the season because sometimes people have patches where they play well and patches where they don't play so well. So, um, just give me one sec. I mean, I look, for example, like if we're looking at, at dollars per point, we go, oh, the second best is Sally Riley. That's only because she's played one game at the moment. Yeah. So at the 116, but only worth 20,000. But considering the injuries at the Gold Coast Sun, Sarah Perkins did an injury, so we, we don't know if Perko will be back for this round or not. Do you say if Perkins is back, maybe she might not be at 100%. Do you take that risk and say keep Sally Riley in the team? 20 grand, it's cheap. She could score around the 100-point mark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you could do. It's, I guess it's what what do we know what day um, Gold Coast plays this week? Because one thing that's been catching a lot of people out is the um, uh, the, the team yeah, being yeah. named twenty only twenty four hours before. So that's, exactly, that's a tricky I, thing with that I, kind of one. Exactly. I got lucky where Wuchner came in as an emergency. Kate McCarthy was out obviously with a concussion, but I knew about that and I rolled with Tegan Cunningham on my bench. But what killed me was that Ashling McCarthy was a late withdrawal from the West Coast Eagles. So it hurt me for points there. I was down maybe a good 100 to 200 points in that bracket. The Gold Coast Suns this weekend are travelling to South Australia. They're at Norwood Oval and they're taking on the Adelaide Crows. Yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't want to take want to have a forward against the Crows. <laughs> yeah, the ball um, might not end up there. Yeah, so uh, one name that is popping up for me um, is Greta Bodie, who's been probably flying a bit under the radar this year, I think, but she's been pretty solid uh, every week. Uh, has a low for the season of 94 and a high of 129, so nice sort of solid reliable range there, averaging 110. And they're playing, uh, the, G- and they're playing the GWS Giants, so they should be going right. into that game as favourites. They should do, yeah. And so for 25 grand, I think she's one to maybe consider in the forward line. Um, I mentioned Stevie Lee Thompson on this podcast just a couple of weeks ago, weeks ago and she's been quiet since, so I may not mention her. Um You've so got you've it, got you've got Chloe Shear, for example, who, yeah. who who came back. She missed the first two rounds, 96, 79, 159 points over the weekend. And as we said, with an Adelaide side that looks very likely that they could give the Gold Coast Suns a bit of a touch up. Yeah, yeah, she'd be one. <clears throat> she'd be another one to look at. Uh, she's right now going at two hundred and sixty nine dollars a point um, based on her last three weeks. So that's 
that's very good value. Um, so those are two players who are, who I think most people could probably find a way to afford who could fix up their forward lines hopefully pretty well, um, as I said, without breaking the bank. So hopefully, hopefully that will help Matt out and try and improve his task too. He's in the top 50, so that's a, a good start, seeing it 44, yep. but try and help him to try and climb up the ladder. Before we go, Jack, uh, personally, how have you been performing this 2021 AFLW fantasy season? I'm actually not sure what my rank is this week. I think it was 32nd or 20-something, high, high 20s or low 30s last week. Um, but we only updated leaderboard today so I actually haven't had a chance to have a look yet um, but I'm sort of probably in the sort of top bracket without without really setting the world on fire um, I guess anyone should, people should you know don't take my word as gospel but, <laughs> 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 but yeah going on Okay. It's only to point you in the right direction, but eventually it all falls on your shoulders who you pick. Jack, thank you very much again for joining us as we take a look at the sheplays.com.au AFLW Fantasy League, and we look forward to your company again next week, and hopefully we've done Matt a favour. Let's hope so. You are listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. Coming up shortly, Coach versus Coach with Nicole Graves and Lisa Coach Kiwi Roper. That'll be followed later on by our women's footy reports out of South Australia, Victoria, the Northern Territory, Queensland and WA. Now, anytime you want to skip straight to your particular league or focus just on the AFLW, there's good news. You can go to our website warfradio.com click on podcasts and all the segments are broken up into mini podcasts if you don't have time to listen to our full long podcast you can skip ahead straight to a mini podcast and focus on either your state league or the AFLW competition two women's footy legends go head to head in coach versus coach And it's that time of week for Coach versus Coach. Two legends of women's football go head-to-head to to find out who's superior when it comes to AFLW tipping. In one corner, we have current Cooling Gatta QAFLW head coach Nicole Graves. In the other corner, Lisa, coach Kiwi Roper, assistant coach at Collingwood VFLW and the Sandringham Dragons in the NAB League. Hello to you both. Hello, hello. Hello, Pete. How you doing? Great to have you. Great to have you both, but uh, dare I say, someone has extended their lead by one tip. What? Thanks to the results from this round. Let's go through them one by one. Let's begin, first of all, on Friday Night Football. Richmond had a big win. Their first ever win in the AFLW, 9-6-60, crushed the Cats, 2-1-13. Coach Kiwi, let's start with you first. Uh, You went for the Tigers by 24 points. Gracie by the Tigers by 18 points. In the end, you were all being very generous. Well, yeah, I think um, I think the last couple of games prior to this one, Richmond has shown that they can create some forward pressure and can kick the ball through the big six. Uh, fortunately, Geelong have been going in the other direction and uh, really struggling to kick goals. And uh, if it wasn't for Meg Mack at the back line and um, even Be- Rebecca Goring was pretty handy, um, I think the score would have been a whole lot bigger. 
to Gravesy. Oh, dear. Where to from here for Geelong? But on the positive side for uh, Richmond, um, they have been racking up some big scores in their losses. So some things seem to be heading in the right direction. Yeah, it's finally clicked. Uh, we spoke, uh, you know, over the last few weeks about their senior players, you know, having to rise because they're, yeah, their middle tier and their youngsters have been really killing it. So, and all of a sudden, yeah, de- definitely clicked on Friday night. It was a, you know, it was a fantastic display of footy and particularly a display of team footy. And, and once teams, you know, they get, you know, they get their little wings flapping like that, it's so hard to stop. Um, so, yeah, so it was, you know, they were, they delivered, they're right, you know, they're, Big players, you know, played well with Katie Brennan, three got three or four goals. Now, it's been a while since Katie Brennan's delivered that. So, you know, that's fantastic for her. and But also for Richmond and the faith that they've had going into, you know, putting her in that, in those sort of leadership roles and really being that sort of marquee player. Um, so, yeah, so it's interesting. The injuries, you know, it's, you know, it's always difficult with those. So they've got a couple of the injuries at Geelong that sort of came out of that as well. So it just sort of keeps getting worse and worse. And I think we also spoke about, you know, a few weeks ago, even after I think there might have been their first game, I just wasn't sure where I could, where that, when a, where a win was it going to come from for them. So, you know, disappointing for the, for the Cats and, you know, they, their injury list continues to sort of um, be up and about. And, uh, you know, Ellie McKenzie, rising star. She's an absolute ripper. And it's amazing. These Some of these young players are just such quality pe- young people as well. So, you know, we talk about Izzy Huntington. Well, Ellie McKenzie's sort of in that, you know, vein. And so, yeah, once she gets a couple of seasons under her belt, she'll be wooing us with the way that she speaks about the game and her knowledge. And it was interesting, the stats, you know, the Tigers had every single player had multiple um, disposals apart from the defenders, which kind of tells a little bit of a story about the scoreline. So, yeah, disappointing for the Cats. But, yeah, I'm so pleased that the Tigers got the win and obviously we'll be nowhere near the bottom of the ladder. Um, Coach Kiwi, as I mentioned, very early in the season, maybe even our first podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Just rubbing it in. Worth making of note that Ali McKenzie was the uh, NAB AFLW Rising Star nominee for this week. And Olivia Barber, who was omitted by the Cats before the game, ended up kicking three goals in the VFLW, which is more the entire AFLW team score. Let's go to the Saturday game, the Western Bulldogs and GWS Giants. Oh, you can ask me first. At VU, Witten Oval, the Bulldogs 7-5-47, the Giants 3-4-22. I start with you, uh, Gravesy, the Bulldogs impressive. Three goals for Huntington, three goals for Bonnie Toogood. Yeah, no, Ripper. Izzy, where we just spoke about, she's just elite. And Bonnie Toogood, I think every week, you know, week after week, we speak about the leadership of, of Ali Blackburn. But, you know, Bonnie Toogood has just improved week, you know, week in, week out. So, you know, they're becoming such a unit. Um, and the dogs just continue to seem to just do enough. They're not necessarily blowing teams away like some of the other teams are, but they're just doing enough. So, you know, it's really good team footy um, with that. Uh, you know, shout out to Dee Berry. We're talking about ACLs. It's just heartbreaking mm-hmm. to see another one. So shout out to Dee. We hope her recovery is is quick and everything goes well for her. So, you know, it seems those lower base teams, they sort of seem to hold on for a half and then they just can't stop the oppo. So, that, you know, each of those teams are growing and Giants, you know, played some really good footy, as I said, in that first half. And they continue to fight out games as all those, 
those sort of bottom half teams are doing. But yeah, you know, some of the stars, you know, Izzy Hunting and Body Too Good kicking all those goals makes a massive difference. And we should point out that Gravesy tipped the dogs by 18 points. Coach Kiwi went for the dogs by a closer margin of seven points. Coach Kiwi, time to explain what happened with GWS. Yeah, well, some of the um, interesting aspects was probably their disposal efficiency through the two teams was actually pretty similar. 24% to Bulldogs, 66 to Giants. But the telling part of that is Giants actually had about less disposals. So if you're not getting the ball in your hand, it's pretty hard to, um, you know, send it forward and actually penetrate the scoreboard. And, um, you know, inside 50, Bulldogs had 16 shots from 35 inside 50s, whereas uh, Giants only took the ball inside 50 19 times. So, you know, almost half of what Bulldogs had, and they only had seven shots from that. Uh, whereas the stats were flipped for hit so Giants won 40, 42 hit-outs to Bulldogs 25. So you've got to look around the midfield. What are you doing that first use of the football? And can you, you know, make that better? If you're winning so many hit-outs, get the ball there and start controlling the football from the centre of the field. Um, tackles inside 50 is probably the biggest stat of the game. Um, inside your forward 50, one to Bulldogs. 16 Giants had to lay. So... Um, you know, they're just not, not making good use of the football when they go forward. And um, and the the other end of the field, I thought the young players, Evans and Garnier, I thought they were really strong and handy. It's good to see Kristen Smith come back. Um, I think she nearly had a had a shot and goal and never nearly got a goal um, playing up forward. And um, and Bonnie Tuchel was just too good, whether she was behind Stevenson, she got the ball um, over the back. If she was in front of Stevenson, she was able to um, get it up short and beat her. So... Um, a little bit of uh, concern there for the Giants, but surely something that they can uh, tinker with and come back a bit stronger for next week. But, yeah, sad to see Barry uh, leave the field um, with an ACL, and uh, that was the second for the weekend. So a bit of a tough weekend for the for the um, old knees. We go to Fremantle Oval for the third game of uh, round five. Uh, Gravesy went for Fremantle by 12 points. Coach Kiwi went for Fremantle by 18 points. It was the Lions by 11, 3725, 1-8-14 with Fremantle. Coach Kiwi, how did the Lions pull it off? Well, you know, I think it just comes down to really quality coaching. I think Starkovic has taken a team over there and really nailed how to stop Frio's good ball movement. You know, they really stifled their short kicking game. They went 1v1 all around the field. Um, Bates was just outstanding for Lions. Lutkins was great around the back. Um, you know, I think I think Lions just had the game, and I'm sure Gravy's the same as me. Is that we don't mind tipping wrong when you get good quality games that are well coached, and um, you know. And I actually enjoyed watching it. It was we kind of did start to think that this is not the Frio team we've been seeing in other weeks, and. That's exactly, I guess, what the Lions did. They wouldn't let Frio play the style of football they're used to. Um, but I love seeing what Courtney Hodder does. I just want to see more and more of um, her on the field. I think, I think she's exciting, and um, and young Bowers as well. What you know, it's great to see these young players, and I think um, more footy in their hands for us spectators.
Crazy, this reminds me of 20 years ago, and I'll bring up some nightmares for some Essendon supporters, but Lee Matthews coaching the then Brisbane Lions at the time before they would go on and win three premierships in a row, the quote to stop what then seemed to be an unstoppable Essendon men's team, if it bleeds, we can kill it. And it almost felt like that same vibe 20 years on for what the Brisbane Lions women's team did to the Dockers. Oh, come on, Pete. One, that's a bit of a wanker coat. Yeah, quote, <laughs> come on. Yeah, come on. Uh, listen, uh, you know, if it's, you look at, and Lions are amazing, don't get me wrong, and they came to play and, you know, and that's, yeah, wonderful. And I think many teams go over there and, you know, apart from obviously the Suns, go over there and, it's, you know, it's been really, it's been really hot in, in WA, so it's hot. But, you know, the Lions, it, yeah, they play in that week in, week out all the time over here. So it's not a, you know, it's not a temperature thing for them. And, you know, I would look at, you know, Courtney Hodder, just, <laughs> she came home just to haunt West Australian fans and Docker fans. She was, she was fantastic. So, I, you know, definitely a uh, big tick for her. It, it, you know, we look at the score. I mean, it was one goal eight. I mean, we've, we've spoken about, you know, Melbourne and, and even Adelaide in that pre, pre-season game. You, you've got to, you've got to hit, kick the goals. And some of those interesting things, you know, when they've been so dominant, I guess, with those inside, you know, the contested marks of Gemma Houghton and, and Roxy Roo doing what Roxy Roo does and others like that, the marks inside 50 were three to seven going Brisbane Lions way. So they dominated inside 50 with those. You know, good, yeah, good marks inside fifty, inside their own range, and you know the center, the center clearances was zero to five. Now, when does, when does you know, um, Dockers lose that sort of stuff? You know, just never. So yeah, so there were some interesting things, and they obviously did some really, you know, Starsenegger and his girls did some really good research around some of that to get those sorts of stats. They really dominated, um, you know. Kate Luckins, and she's just a freak in, in back line. So she obviously has massive impact and probably, you know, stopped, stifled some of that, you know, some of that Gemma Houghton sort of, you know, contested mark. She was really just coming across and, and just getting in front of, you know, in, in front of those uh, key forwards that have been so dominant for Freya the last few weeks. So, you know, they really did their homework, the Lions. And, um, you know, as I said, chuff Queensland footy. Um, she really shows where they're going and, and the young players, you know, that they're producing, obviously, apart from, obviously, Hodder being a Western Australian. But they were the ones that lured her back to the game. So kudos for Stas and, and Bree. Um, so, yeah, so one goal late, very hard to win a footy game. And I know that Lions, obviously, 3-7, but, you know, ultimately, two, you know, two two straighter shots and or three straighter shots and you're in a completely different situation. And I should know that, trust me. After my first round one QFLW uh, match, kick straight might help. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's a snapshot. So, great for Lions, Dockers, back to the drawing board. And we talked about that kudos of just what happens when you go into finals, not ever losing a game makes me nervous, you know. I don't like it, so I'll take the Dockers. I'll take the Dockers' loss this, this early in the in the season, and we'll move forward. 
Saturday night football. Kangaroos and Carlton. Gravesy went for North by 10 points. Coach Kiwi went for Carlton by 3 points. Out of that tip, Gravesy got the chocolates because the Kangaroos beat Carlton 9-5-59 to 6-1-37. Gravesy, the Kangaroos live to fight another day as they try and make the finals. For Carlton, it's skating on thin ice. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Gee whiz, who would have thought that, you know, that early when we're all tipping, you know, the, I think the club captains and coaches all had Carlton right up the top there. And obviously Kiwi and I were, were pretty impressed uh, with them as well. But, you know, I think we're, we're sort of seeing, you know, as the season goes on, just the changes, the list changes and the impact that has players not having impact that we thought might have impact. So, you know, I'd like to, you know, Nick Stevens continues to provide up forward. You know, she was the highest disposal getter with 19 for Carlton. And she was the highest by five, you know. So I hate to say it, mate, but uh, no P, no B. So, yeah, Maddie Pressbark is out. And uh, <laughs> obviously I picked based on perhaps getting that vibe that Maddie wouldn't play. Uh, so, yeah, so you know, the Blues kept up early with the Ruse until they just sort of kicked away. You know, the Tassie voodoo continues to, uh, uh, you know, haunt the Blues. I'm sure I have to be going, hey, Tasmania, don't picture us there again. Um, and the same sort of thing, Mark's inside 50. You know, Carlton have got that, you know, that contested marking target up there. Um, I think everyone knows who I'm talking about. And, you know, and and the, and the uh, sorry, and the Blues took four contested marks in the forward 50 for the game. So it's just not enough. You know, they're just not getting enough output from those big, tall, you know, flying marks. They've really got to have more impact, um, or you know, in that forward fifty if they if they're going to be, yeah, you know, any chance of making finals. And then if they make finals, any chance of actually having any impact in finals. So yeah, just pointing for the Blues, but Ruse up and about. To Coach Kiwi for the Ruse, Emma Carney firing, Jasmine Garner firing, and of course now they've got Jess Duffin back. Yeah, look, it's good to see Duffin back. And, you know, gee, wasn't she very tidy with the football? Just well composed. Just never seemed to be under any pressure. And um, I didn't see what her efficiency was at the end, but I'm certain it was pretty high for her first game back. Um, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, obviously I kept it because I forgot about Chris Barker's being out. Oh, uh, don't make excuses. <laughs> roll the tape. I said it last week. But, yeah, anyway, <laughs> um, I think, I think, here we have a classic situation of a midfield group that were fresh because, you know, they had last week off um, and, um, you know, they came back with a vengeance. You know, Garner had 32, Carney 28, um, Bruton 23, Riddell 23 positions. They they really dominated through there. And as Gracie said, the best of the Blues was a forward with 19 and then the second best was Lalawisi with 14. So, um, you know, you can't play at this level and rely on a single player, let alone a single midfielder, to um, to win use the games. And so your Blues have got a lot of work to do. And, um, you know, well done for those North players that were back after having the week off at Marvel Stadium. And, um, yeah, I think Carlton are probably going to struggle to get back in the top six after that round. The Adelaide Crows and St Kilda on Sunday. You both went for the Crows. Gracie went for Crows by 14. Coach Kiwi went for the Crows by 12 points. In the end, it was the Crows by a lazy 53, 8-13, 61 to 1-2. 
eight. And uh, Coach Kiwi, I mean, look at that. What is it? 21 scoring shots to three. The Crows flex their muscles. Yeah, gosh, lucky they probably missed so many as well, I guess. But um, look, you know, St Kilda, as Pete Cecil said, is, you know, sometimes you got to work through the storms to come out the other side. And, um, you know, they will learn a lot from that game, absolutely. Um, Tilly Lucas Rod was, was just outstanding. She had 24 disposals. Patricios, you know, that young gun, she had 24. Um, what a little star she is, you know, just a small body, but still willing to get in and under and, and work the ball out. Um, for the flip side, the Crows, you know, Erin, probably a quiet game for her. She only kicked one goal one, but 21 disposals. And, um, you know, backed up with Hatchard and Marinoff, um, the 23. So, you solid team effort for the Crows and um, certainly some learning to come out of that for St Kilda. And for Gracie, is Adelaide Crows just one of those cases where a side has a humbling loss during the year and it just wakes them up and puts a, it puts a fire underneath them? I, I look at the Crows a couple of weeks ago when they lost by five goals and Fremantle had control over them. After that game, they go and beat Brisbane up in Brisbane and then they do what they did to St Kilda on the weekend. Yeah, it, and it is. I said sometimes you learn much more, particularly when you're, you know, dominant. You've got all the stars. You learn a hell of a lot more um, when you have the loss because it's your developing players that are going to learn about those losses. You know, the players that have been there for a while. You know, they've had their ups and downs, you know, throughout their seasons, particularly last season. So the new players, you know, they they come in and go, they they go, well, this is pretty good. You know, look at all these superstars, and we're going beautifully. And how easy is this? And you know, a, a bit of a you know kick in the pants, I suppose. Just reminds them that yeah, they're not un they're not unstoppable. So yeah, so that would have been valuable. As we spoke about Freo doing the same sort of thing, they've been dominant. There'd be players in that Freo team that never lost a game. So I think it's really yeah, really important that you know they they get something out of those those losses when they have them early and and develop. And that's exactly what um, you know what uh, what the Crows have done and the Saints. You know, as I said, they're, they're one of the strongest of that, those extra teams that came in um, last season. You know, they're the most dominant sort of team, I feel, you know, so far. They've developed the quickest and, you know, and, and as I said, it's a long-term plan for some of that. We can't just sort of gauge on, oh, they're no good. It's a long-term pl- plan for those clubs. They're up against clubs that have been in, these, in this competition for a while. They've got much, you know, they're much more hardened bodies. And um, yeah, so it'll, it'll just take a little bit of time, but yeah, Pete will yeah Pete will certainly take take them back through everything, and they'll work on those things, and I'm sure they'll come out you know uh, much better for it. Um, and not, the loss is never fun, but the, the, as I said, you got to take the positives out of those things, particularly for your young players. Common. So yeah, so that was sort of about, you know, it was just dominant. You know, forty seven to eight inside fifty. Chelsea Randall kicked their first AFLW goal. Good on your Chelsea. Um, and yeah, they just didn't have it enough in their forward fifty to make any impact. So yeah, learning curve for Saints and the the Crows march on. It's up and about those teams at the top are really reaching away, and that's why I think you know the teams like Carlton and those ones that have sort of dropped games early are going to really struggle to sneak their way back in. Talking about teams at the top, Collingwood and Melbourne met at Victoria Park. Gravesy went for the D's by eight points. Coach Kiwi went for her pies by 12 points. In the end, it was Collingwood victorious by 35 points, 7749 to 184 for Melbourne. For Gravesy, the record shows at the moment Collingwood five and zip. 
but they have not played any interstate sides due to how the COVID restrictions are at the moment. We don't know if they'll end up with interstate teams in uh, rounds seven, eight or nine. So based on the evidence we've seen so far, how is how good is Collingwood? Are they at the level of the Crows, the Lions and the Dockers, or is this just a bit of a false dawn? Well, obviously they're very charmed, a bit like their AFL men's team. They don't seem to travel too much and always stay in Victoria, isn't it? There's a bit of a thing going. My conspiracy theory brain goes, mm, mm, interesting. Um, no, nah, listen, they're, the, they're, they're legit. They were fantastic, you know, and it was their accuracy. Yeah, I mean, accuracy killed uh, Melbourne. We talked about Dockers 1-8 and Melbourne 1-8. And it really it really hurts because you don't get that, that momentum when you, you know, when you keep missing the goal. So it's hard like that. But the pies are well and truly marching to that, that top couple of spots in the ladder on the ladder and they're just impressive. You know, they were they built a list, you know, their first year was a bit of an anomaly, I think, you know. Whoever looked at that list obviously just put a whole heap of superstars in there and maybe not tried and tested and I know um you know, Wayne Seacom was starting to build that and, you know, the new coach has got the benefit of, you know, getting those early draft picks and he's coached them really, really well and they've got real belief in him and, and in each other and, and that's really what's important. So that's probably something the Pies, you know, have stuck with, you know, and they've stuck with, you know, they've stuck with the likes of, you know, Ruby Schleicher and, and all those things through injuries and, and similar players like that, and they're getting the output from them. So it's really impressive. Um, again, another shout-out, Jordan Membry, which is, uh, you know, she's a cool and get a bluebird kid, um, you know, ACL, another, you know, heartbreak for her. And, and really, well, she's really one of those forwards, a true forwards at Collingwood. They get a lot of goals out of their midfield George, that was gave them a certain target down there, but and they'll, they'll no doubt um, you know work through how they cover that sort of player. But yeah, it has been a lot of their resting mids that continue to kick the big ones for them. Bree Davy is just she looks fitter, she's stronger, she's obviously really enjoying her footy down there. And you now Chloe Moy, what can we say? Wow. Um, and Britt Benici keeps marching on as well. So there's just some absolute rippers and supported by. All those young players around them, you know, Geordie Allen is, is just showing exactly why I would have loved to have drafted her to Carlton back a couple of years ago. So they're just rippers. So, you know, Pies are absolutely legit. They are loving it. They got, you know, they got rid of their president that was obviously no good. And they're flying. To Coach Kiwi. Sorry, that was my dig. <laughs> <laughs> for for the D's, um, they seem to be flying at the start of the year. They had that win against North, looked like they were going places, and then it's all fallen in a heap after the loss to the Doggies and now getting whacked by the Pies. Yeah, look, I think um, they've come, they've just come up against a team that are running red hot, and, um, you know, they are hot pies right now, and They've got a uh, really good game structure going that they all contribute to the overall performance of the team and they're able to really stifle the attack and the play of the other team. You know, when they did it against North, people probably were like, what on earth has happened? But they really stopped the key players in North contributing to their game. And I think, again, they did the same um, for the Demons, you know, uh, Paxman, I think, only had 19 possessions, which is probably one of the lowest he's ever had. Hanks um, was Demon's best, was only 22. So, you know, the likes of Lauren Pierce and Daisy Pierce, 
you know, they just didn't have quite the influence that perhaps they're used to having. And, um, you know, the pies, as Gravy said, Brianna Davies was just outstanding. She um, topped the tally with 25, but she kicked two goals, one. So contributing just absolutely solidly through the midfield. She takes a lot of tackles. She takes the contested marks, and then she's getting down and um, kicking goals while she's having a rest down in the forward line. Um, and Benicia and Lambert just backed her up as well. But, um, you know, I think what you're coming up against with the Pies is just too many really good contributors all around. And if you mark up on Lambert, then probably Malloy will take the ball. If you mark up on Newman, Benicia will take the ball. If you um, mark up on Alexander um, Membry or, you know, whoever her replacement is next week, um, Sheridan is up there. There's just so many options that Collingwood can then move the ball around and head up. And, um, you know, and the back line is just working so strong. Young Lauren Butler, she was, you know, effective so many times in stopping her opponent, taking the ball in. Um, Stacker, Livingston down the back, she was solid. And, um, you know, and even Alana Porter with some really driving tackles. So, um, you know, all around, they're a really tough team to um, come against right now, I think. And with Melbourne's poor goal-kicking woes over the last two weeks, if there's any heart for Melbourne supporters, Brianna Tarrant, who's on their list, uh, kicked five goals in the VFLW on the weekend for the KC Demons. The final game of the round was the heartbreaker. Pretty for a defender. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. They moved her in the forward line. She did well, so uh, it's maybe some food for thought. Uh, the final game of the round was a heartbreaker in Perth. The West Coast Eagles 5-4-34 defeated the Gold Coast Suns 4-9-33. And Coach Kiwi got the tip right. She got the Eagles, albeit by 11 points. Gravesy went for the Suns by 11 points. Uh, Coach Kiwi, talk about the Eagles holding on for dear life. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Didn't that get exciting at the end of the game? Well, depending on who you were supporting, I guess. But, um, yeah, look, um, you know, they, they did what they normally do. They started really strongly and then let the opponents come back at them. And um, and in this case, probably the Suns didn't come back and kick as many goals as they really needed to do. But, um, you know, West Coast were just solid. I love seeing, you know, Swanee was obviously um, their key midfielder with 24 possessions. But I love seeing Maddie Collier up there, our young New South Wales player um, on 22. I thought she had some really key moments where she um, provided some spoils down the back line that, um, potentially could have been goals. So, um, Pereira, she was solid. Uh, Michaela Bowen, boy, isn't she a little excitement machine when she gets on a run and her speed that she provides, um, you know, and same with Grace Kelly. You love the Irish girls coming in. For the flip side, um, I think they lost Perko towards the end of the game, which uh, I haven't heard what her injury was. So, hopefully, it's nothing too serious and she'll come back for them. Um, but Aaron, she was, she was really solid for them. Um, but yeah, it's just, I guess, heartbreak for the Sun supporters, absolutely. It's a tough trip to go all the way to the other side of the island and uh, go back with a big donut. But um, good on West Coast holding out and getting that win is uh, pretty important knowing who they're playing next week. But um, good on them hanging in there right to the end. That last minute, boy, oh boy, they were under the pump with a minute to go. And just the way they held off the defensive line and then transitioned was probably... Their best transitional game, actually. But, um, yeah, well done to West Coast. 
And Gracie, we've got to talk about the West Coast Eagles effort when you consider that they don't have Dana Hooker, obviously, for the season. And Ashling McCarthy was one of their better players up until this point, uh, was also a late withdrawal. Mm. Yep. Um, oh, I just mentioned Leah Caswell wasn't out there either. Um, yeah, listen, it's always it's bittersweet because you know I know so many of the young uh, young Eagles players as well, and I you certainly want them to do well. But uh, yeah, it was a bit heartbreaking. Um, uh, you know, big shout out to Mick Bowen. She's you know Swan Districts uh, kid, and you know played all her um, her youth footy at Swannies, and and yeah, so really you know has had really good leadership by, you know, some of those weirdly enough Frio girls at Swans. But, um, yeah, so her Rising Star nomination. So good on you, Mickey Bowen. Well done. Um, yeah, again, you know, isn't it the inaccuracy? We talk about that. We talk about catches win matches. Well, you know, the, big, the six-pointers are way, way better than the one-pointers. So, yeah, and, you know, it just – I mean, Eagles had eight shots uh, to the Suns 17. So that's, you know – Speak Lakey, it's such a coach killer, isn't it? Um, you know, so, you know, Mickey Bowen, I think the Irish girls, were, you know, they work so well together. They were really impressive. And the way they can take contested marks and, they're, you know, they're brave. And for, you know, in, you know, in theory, Gaelic football over in Ireland for women is non-contact. But I tell you what, these Irish girls certainly uh, certainly don't shirk any issues when they get over here playing AFL. I think they enjoy that. So that was... Yeah, that was good. Big shout out to well, the Suns kids, you know, Lucy Single and Maddie Levi. That you know, they're they're kids that have played only a couple of seasons of footy up here, but you know, and come elite athletes obviously in other sports. And so you can see the benefit. You can see the benefit of those of those two, and when they you know learn their trade a little bit more and 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 get their skills up a bit more, how dangerous they're going to be. Little Daisy Darcy just an absolute ripping kid and, you know, really having impact. So those three young kids, are, you know, they're really working hard and it's really impressive. Um, yeah, when you talk about, I don't know, this could be a bit controversial, but I don't know if it was the Eagles' defence or the Suns just oh, inexperienced in some of that. That last, so the last 30, you know, one minute 36, I think there was. You know, it's one point the difference. Every man and their dog was in the forward, you know, was in the uh, Suns forward 50, actually including all the Suns. So, you know, the mids, instead of building the wall outside of 50 and being, you know, that staggered wall to be able to, you know, stop that, you know, that big roost out, they actually were all in there apart from, I think, one or two more of their senior players. So their mids were all in there. Everyone was in there, you know. They all got sucked in. Everyone wanted to, you know, Kick the winning goal, a bit of Christmas eyes. I don't know what was going on there. So, and in the end, actually hurt them because the you know the Eagles got that big boot out as you would, and it went over. It went over that yeah you know, over that fifty meter arc, and where a wall should have been in traditional footy, they weren't there. So all of a sudden, then it became a get became a foot race. But yeah, so it's interesting, isn't it, when you. When you look at, you know, it's great in hindsight, or easy for me to say from from afar. But yeah, again, some inexperience, I think, and and you know that footy uh, now, um, you know, does come into play. It was really good to see Geordie Hickey and Sally Riley. You know, say, when I say a couple of the old ducks, you know, Geordie Hickey's, I think, did her, you know, mid twenties, and and Sal, I hate to say, it, is is one of those, you know, thirty amazing type players. So, you know, they came back in and they gave them real drive, particularly Sally Riley had, you know, an outstanding game 
you know, and just gave them some experience. And I think that sort of, you know, when the Eagles are really pushing down, Sal was that real connector for those. So, you know, taking nothing away from the Eagles, they were brilliant. But, you know, I've just, I've got to just keep being brave, son. It's, it's coming and you're building. So, yeah, so both these teams, ripping teams, that was a great game to watch. That's the most important thing as we can, you know, as Kiwi and I continue to say. It's just a ripping game to watch, exciting. And, you know, I guess, you know, where we all have our, you know, our our commitments to our, you know, local clubs and states and stuff. So yeah, so it's a bit heartbreaking. I guess we get the Lions win, the Suns keep getting lost. So it's sort of fifty fifty uh, up here in Queensland. But uh, well done to the Eagles. They had the fifty fifty with the Eagles winning and the Dockers losing. So who would have thought? What a weekend! And that means after the weekend, hey, um, yes, Coach Kiwi. I just, I just want to say how outstanding all the Guernseys were for the weekend. Like every team had, you know, a special or a deadly design and it was something about a story or somebody related to the team. And, you know, there wasn't a dud. It it was just really well done. <laughs> well, sometimes you just get some that just, yeah, there that, are you know, a bit token. What's, what's it? But yeah, I just thought, you know, the women's team just seemed to really get behind the story and really get somebody involved who was, Related to the club, or a player, or a sister, or brother, or something. It was it was just really well done. And the gift giving between at the beginning of the games with the coin toss. Um, some of the clubs got their indigenous players involved in that, and I thought that just sort of showed it was a little bit more than tokenism. You know, they actually really respected what the rounds meant, and you know, let's listen to our traditional owners and let's engage with them a little bit more. And um, you know, I thought it was a really awesome aspect of the round and um, hopefully, you know, we can see it a lot more often rather than just the one weekend a year. Yeah, it was really a conversation starter and that's what's so important about, you know, understanding diversity and and different communities and different cultures is it it has a conversation. So, so many people were talking about, you know, these Gansies, the Melbourne one where they actually literally had, you know, a handprint of the team that they, you know, of uh, the team that they were playing and you know, it means so much to so many of the the players, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, because they're sharing culture within their clubs and, and trying to, you know, educate communities and younger players and, you know, and state league, you know, players. And it's, it's so important. So, you know, I think shout out to all of that. And the AFLW did it really well. I, you know, I was big on my socials about, um, you know, the logo change and how impressive was it, was the little Ws with the, you know, and, and, and that impact and, again, engage players and, and people close to AFLW in designing and doing all that sort of stuff. And then, you know, all the quotes from the AFL men's players, Indigenous players, I just thought was so brilliant. You know, it was a real celebration um, of, um, you know, Aboriginal culture, Indigenous culture, but also a celebration of women um, uh, in football and, and the and the power that um, Aboriginal and, and Torres Strait Islander women have um, within our community. So I just, as you say, Kiwi, I'm glad you brought that up because I just thought it was brilliant. And, uh, yeah, really great work by all the clubs, all the designers, all the marketing departments and and the AFL in ensuring that that was a real celebration, a real highlight, and no doubt that that will continue to grow. So I I really love the painting. I really love the painting on the field uh, where they had the Aboriginal woman, woman symbol and they had the word of um, the land or the local dialect mm. for um, the original name of that land. Um, I want to give a special shout-out to 
uh, Melbourne Demons, I'm not sure who it was or who engaged this person, but somebody recorded the Melbourne Demons song in their uh, local dialect and it was played pre-game. You know when the players run onto the field and their team song is played? It was actually sung in the language of their traditional lands and um, I wish all the teams did it. I thought, I thought it was pretty cool to do, um, but they didn't say who the singer was or anything was um, the sad bit of that, but uh, it was so good to hear. And I should point out as well, when some people were arguing about uh, uh, the jumper clash for the Adelaide versus Saints games, because it's, it was essentially white versus white with the uh, predominant colour on the jumper, um, we should point out that these jumpers were designed prior to the start of the season when we had the original fixture. So teams would have done the lighter jumper, darker jumper versions uh, about who, and well-known in advance of who they were playing. Of course, with COVID-19, that all changed. So therefore, of course, the Saints weren't meant to originally play the Crows in the original fixture. So therefore, that's why we had the clash of the two jumpers that were of a predominantly white because both of them would have been expecting um, their opponent to be wearing the slightly darker coloured version of the jumper. I did I did see some St Kilda supporters complain that that's why St Kilda lost, but then how did Crows win? But <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, listen, we pivot. It's a COVID pivot. Everyone, everyone just moves on. It's, you know, my eyes, most of the team, look, you know, if, if the TV's, you know, too close, my eyes, they, most of the team merge and look the same anyway. So, yeah, just get over themselves, supporters. I, I have enough trouble watching Collingwood play Kangaroos or Collingwood play Geelong. Like, those stripes absolutely hit my head. In, but, you know, we put up with that for 150 years. So, you know, what's a little bit of white? Uh, um, yes. I think Frio and uh, Giants did it best in 2017, wasn't it? When they turned up with their white shorts and white tops, so um, oh, you know, a bit of a faux pas. Yeah, there's what? your first yeah. fine, you know. There's a bit of history. First fine in AFLW, five thousand dollars free. Oh, Wayne Wade Silka, get the shorts right. Always pack both pairs. <laughs> Let's look ahead to round six football and let's start getting some tips as we head into round six. Coach Kiwi sits on 26 points, Gravesy on 24. It's two the difference. We begin with Friday Twilight Football at Punt Road Oval. It is Richmond versus the Kangaroos. Coach Kiwi, since you're in front, let's begin with you. Who do you tip and by how much? Oh, look, you know, I think Tigers are going to go into this game with a lot of confidence and um, they've shown they can kick goals at home. And um, I think, you know, I think without a doubt they're going to come out firing and um, Katie Brennan's going to lead the charge and Monconti is going to go solid through the midfield. However, by the same token, you know, that kangaroo midfield that had the week off the week before and um, they've now got the, the taste of leather again. I think maybe just too dominant in that area of the park and um, and they've got quality players at each end too. So I'm going to actually go the ruse this week by 12 points. Gravesy. Oh, listen, you know, I think the ruse are going to be really affected by that long um, travel to Tasmania and back. So I'm going the Tigers by two points. Go you good things. Wow, go on the risk. Ooh. Richmond by two points, a boil Boom. over. Let's head to. I got you. I got you back, Akesh. Let's head to the <laughs> nation's capital in Canberra, or should I do that properly? Uh, GWS Giants versus the Brisbane Lions. Gravesy, who wins between the Giants and the Lions? Wow. Well, yeah, Lions. 
they're, yeah, they're, you know, hopefully that actually really long, you know, tra- trip doesn't take too much out of them. I thought they'd stay over and play another week there. I've got no idea what's going on with this fixture, I tell you. It shocks me every time I bring it up and go, oh, okay. Play the selections. You can't see what players are playing until about three and a half minutes before the sides run out. Uh, no, Lions, uh, even though it's in Canberra, which is, you know, a little bit away for both. Both teams are big ground in their grave, although. Um, so, like it's late to be kicking the dew off even in the middle of summer. So, now I'm going Lions by 18 points, mate. And I hear about the late selections. It's killing my fantasy team at the moment. Uh, Coach <laughs> Kiwi, who wins between the Giants and the Lions? I'm with you, Pete. It's killing my team, too. Um, look, you know, it's a, it's a pretty solid field down there at uh, Manuka Oval, is how my people say it. But um, those in. The Canberra cold, cold town, we'll call it Marnica. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to go the Lions. It's going to be too solid this week, and I'm going to go the Lions by 21. You never back your own team. You're so <laughs> I did once. I'm trying to get it all opposite here so I can just make a massive comeback, but you just you give me nothing. Okay, wait, nothing. We go to right Sat- Pete, Saturday Twilight Football. Maybe here you'd like to take a rest. The Adelaide Crows and the Gold Coast <laughs> Suns at Norwood Oval. We'll begin with you, Coach Kiwi. Yeah, look, um, I'm sorry to the Suns. They're back on the road again, but um, I don't think they're going to get um, anything good going for them down that way. And um, Crows, you know, they can miss 20 and still pick up a win, I think, Um they're, um, they'll kick some goals, and I expect Crows to win this game by 26 points. Gravesy. Uh, well, honestly, Back I shouldn't team. have. Back I, yeah, no, team. I shouldn't have. Well, I have, all, I have most of the time. I mean, honestly. The poor kids, behind poor kids they've, got, they've, got, yeah, they've spent 10 days in, in Western Australia, and it's, you know, they've got They should have just sent them straight to Adelaide and spent oh, yeah, the week there never train come and well, Giants did it on the road for six weeks, so why can't the other teams? They should send a couple of Victorian teams out or bring Frio over. Put yeah. them on the Oh, maybe the move Collingwood Victoria somewhere. Who knows? Um, listen, yeah, I think, yeah, Suns may not see some of those injured players back this week. I think um, it might make a bit of an impact, although probably not enough. <laughs> Crows are always still going to probably win. Uh, and over there, they love playing in Adelaide. They love being in front of their crowd. They just rip it up and they're on fire. God, the bookends. I say the bookends, although they're at the same end these days. But, um, you know, they were ripping you know, last week. Just really impressive, you know. And uh, as we spoke about, yeah, <laughs> I really like to back the Suns, but I just can't. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, this one's going to be a tough, tough year. Hopefully, it comes. You know, win, win is coming really soon. But uh, no, the Crows will win by forty points. Ouch! Let's go to Saturday night football Shoot. at Casey Fields, Melbourne versus St Kilda. Last chance saloon, maybe for both of these teams. Uh, Gravesy, who wins between the D's and the Sainters? Oh no, D's will be up and about. I said that they won't lose. They won't lose two in a row. Okay, they won't lose three in a row. Um, I'll change. Yeah. So listen, they need they need to win a footy game. Yeah, and they're the specialists coming into the back half of the season of just pulling wins out when they need to and and uh, making sure that they're there around. I nearly said September then. Whenever is it? April, whatever. Um, yeah. So I think 
Oh, I'm making you nervous. Pete's likely to pull something amazing out of training this week and it'll be like another little superstar team come out. But uh, now nah, I'm back in Mick and Daisy's team there. So I reckon I reckon Melbourne by 14 points, mate. Catch Kiwi. Yeah, look, um, I'm applying for a passport so I can head out to Cranbourne for a Saturday night. I've heard it's a pretty exciting place to hang. Um, and I'm thinking that the... Um, the red and blue are going to do the deal on the red, white and black and um, just shine through that experience. And I think, yeah, from last week, they're not going to want to have another loss. So um, certainly I'm going to pick the Ds by 14 points. Both going for the Ds by 14 points. Let's go to Sunday football at Icon Park. The early afternoon game is Carlton versus the Geelong Cats. Uh, Coach Kiwi, who wins and by how much? Look, I think... Um, Geelong have really struggled this year and losing Luke Purcell is just another chunk out of their team. And um, I really don't know that they've got any youngsters that they can bring in to um, change much around in, in the space of about seven days. So I think Carlton will take a lot out of last week's loss and I think they will turn things around. They get Matty P back um, and, you know, certainly at home they will uh, want to dominate again. So I'm going to go Carlton by... 46 points. One-sided. Wow. Gravesy. Yeah, I love how Kiwi's now calling her Maddie P as well. I'm not sure if you're tight enough to be going on the nicknames things yet, Kiwi. But, uh, oh, listen, I just, I looked at the timing on the net and I was like, oh, 11.40 in the morning, but I forgot, obviously, yeah, our our curtains fade up here, so we're not on daylight saving. So I was like, oh, that's actually... Get up early after a big Saturday of my own footy up here, the QFLW starting last week. Um, and yeah, now the baggers, the baggers will be back in the win and they'll need the percentage. So I'm going the baggers by 63 points. Ouch. Um, I was calling her Maddie P, Maddie P, because um, every week she's at the MRP. Oh, <laughs> no. Well, they just needed a decent GM to get, get them off. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. That was bad. Let's go to Victoria Park. The new GM is over there. I'm not sure. Victoria Park on Sunday afternoon. It is Collingwood versus the Western Bulldogs. Gravesy, I'll start with you. Did Collingwood keep on rolling? Are they going to be six and zip, or are the Bulldogs going to give the Pies their first loss of the season? Oh, listen. This, this is this is. I think this is the match of the round. Hundred percent. Um, Vic Park, um, and as I said, Bulldogs just keep doing enough, weirdly enough, but, uh, um, making me a bit nervous. I, I reckon I'm just, cause I know, oh, I'm, I'm trying to get my tips back up here, but, um, I reckon the Bulldogs, <laughs> uh, might just, uh, sneak over the pies. You know, I, we don't want to go undefeated pies. Okay. So I'm still backing it around the finals time, but, um, you know, you don't want to go undefeated. It's a, it's a, you know, ritual of mine, it just doesn't sit well with me. So I'm going the Bulldogs by five points. Coach Kiwi. The upset. (laughs) Do the Pies keep on rolling? I I do think, you know, absolutely it's the game of the round, Um, but I do do think the Bulldogs are going to really take it to the Pies. But the flip side of that is I think the Pies have got the game to counter that. And um, they're, they're great ball movement and the way they use the width and they can hit up the shorter options. Um, it's just been so slick. And I don't think 
Bulldogs will have the players that can stop that. Um, I do think it's going to be a close game, and I'm going to go the Pies by eight. To the final game. Well, maybe they'll rest Chloe Malloy with that shoulder, you know, that bit of shoulder niggle she came off with at the end. Maybe that um, oh, might no, be my it was thing. Just, um, they just, it just messed up her um, self-tanning stuff she had on the top shoulder. <laughs> she, is, she is A-OK. And, I've got and, to say, know, I think having white jumpers, in, sorry, <laughs> having yeah. white jumpers as away jumpers, really bad idea. I've just worked out that, that it's not a good idea to have white away jumpers because every girl now seems to play Seems to you know fake tan. No, I'm in Queensland. What what are they fake tanning for? I've got to try to get that fake tan off in the wash every week. It's driving me nuts. Bring back the home game. Anyway, yeah, that's all that's my, yeah, yeah. I agree. Don't Big do ticket item for the coaches up here, mate. <laughs> I, I would be saying whoever puts the Bondo tan on, they do the Bondo washing. <laughs> I don't trust them with the brand new jumpers over there, new indigenous jumpers. So I'm not letting them have them yet because they may not never come back. Well, they'll come back. They'll just come back the colour of the earth, probably. (laughs) (laughs) To our our final game of the round. Now, this is West Coast versus Frio. It's the Derby 2.0. They're meeting for the second time this year. To explain the situation, because of the current uh, border restrictions in WA, which will not be looked at until March 13th, especially when it comes to Victoria, and they want to make sure that Victoria have no community transition uh, community cases of COVID-19. Transition. Well, I'm looking for the right word. No community uh, cases since uh, up until March 13th, and then the borders can reopen. Until that point, essentially, the WA team's are where they are, and they won't be playing Victorian sides. So because the AFL are a bit in a jam, they're making them play again. So who will win the second battle of the Eagles and Frio? Considering it was a close one last time around, I'll start with you, Coach Kiwi. Yeah, look, I think this is really rough, uh, rough, rough end of the draw. And um, for all those that complain that Collingwood don't travel, it's, all of Victoria doesn't travel, and it's actually McGowan who is, or McGowan, however you say his name, the Premier of WA. It's his fault, and, and um, he's the reason Collingwood are not travelling anywhere. Um, but you know, I think I think West There's Coast a is state coming. called Queensland. You know, yeah, send them all. Yeah, send them all there for two weeks. You know, put them in rubber gloves and a mask when they play or something. I don't know, mm. but you know. There's, there's got to be ways around. I just don't think that this was necessary. I, I think um, absolutely. Look Very at the two frustrating. Teams, look at where they are on the ladder, and it's even much more important that it's not necessary. But um, I think West Coast are going to throw everything at Frio. Uh, I don't know if Frio may look at it and go, you know, we can rest a few people before the uh, finals. That could um, come to hurt them. Um, but, yeah, I... I really want West Coast to win this. I want uh, I want them to win it by two points, but I'm going to tip Frio oh, by 21. Go on, back. 21. Frio by 21. Ah, <laughs> uh, gosh. Soft. You're soft. Um, no doubt about it. Eagles are much improved. Dockers will be absolutely spewing about last week. I'm going Dockers by, well, I don't know if I've already picked this number, by... I'm going Dockers by oh, 48 points. Ooh, big no, win. Yeah. And, and, and Trent Cooper, the coach of Dockers, will listen to this podcast, no doubt in my mind, and hear Kiwi just absolutely bagging out that he got out coach last week. 
didn't get out coached, mate. His players got out kicked or something. You can't kick one eight. That's ridiculous. Um, so now nah, Dockers will be up and about. Juddy will get them moving. They will have, would have had their little. Yeah, they would have been told exactly how it is. A lot of review, and yeah, Dockers will absolutely smash it, unfortunately. <laughs> Please. That concludes our look at round <laughs> six. Make it so obvious. Thank you again, Coach <laughs> Kiwi and Nicole Graves, and we look forward to your company next week for Coach versus Coach. Thanks, Kiwi. Thanks, see you guys. Bye. That concludes our look back at AFLW with Coach versus Coach. She plays AFLW fantasy football and the lowdown with Luana Williams looking back at injuries. It's now time for State League footy. Coming up shortly, we look at the Northern Territory Football League women's competition. Then Queensland, Victoria, SA and WA. That's all still to come. And at any stage you want to skip to your particular State League or just focus on the AFLW, you can go to our website, warfradio.com. Click on the podcast page and you'll see all the segments broken up into little mini podcasts as you scroll further down the page and maybe a sneak peek at some new podcasts that we've got coming very soon. Go to warfradio.com and click on podcasts. NTFL Women's Footy Report. And we kicked off the NTFL Women's Premier League final series over the weekend. We all kicked off with the elimination final between the Southern District's Crocs and the Nightcliff Tigers. And the reigning premiers are out of the competition, tossed aside by the Tigers, 9-4, to 5-6-36. And we've got on the line from the victorious Nightcliff Tigers, Lauren Gooden. Lauren, how are you? I'm good. I'm really good. Great to have you on the line and um, a bit of an unusual circumstance coming into the finals campaign. You were playing the Crocs back-to-back, final game of the home and away season, then obviously backing up to uh, play them again in the elimination final. Yeah, I think it um, yeah, it was a, a bit different, but um, it kind of worked in our favour a little bit, uh, gave us um, a good no- knowledge of what they were going to do um, in their game plan going into the, the first final, so... It was all yeah. it was all set up from that first quarter. Three goals to uh, three behind, uh, and particularly with the dominance in the, the in the middle from your midfielders. And that all started actually with Christy Irvine, her sensational run down the middle and goal. And it seemed to just uh, bust the damn wall of the Southern Districts Crocs. Three goals in quick succession for the Tigers. Yeah, she's just a powerhouse. Um, she's been such a great um, contributor to our team this season and. Yeah, she just oh, she does it all the time. Um, she's just yeah, so strong, so powerful through the legs, and yeah, can pretty much take on anybody anywhere on the field. It's crazy. Jackie Anion Smith was also looking dangerous for you on the weekend, including a heck of a snap from the pocket in the third term. Yeah, um, <laughs> Jackie legs um just just so strong. Got such a big kick, such a good um, with her body as well, getting around, and she can pretty much kick from anywhere inside the fifty, even outside the fifty. Um, yeah, she's just so strong and powerful. Um, she even like comes into the midfield sometimes, and it, she even ended up in the back line um, against um, Crocs as well, just helping out our back line in there all the way from like half forward. So yeah, she's just great everywhere over the ground. And, of course, your uh, club best and fairest, uh, Macaulay Award, um, working up the ground, pushing up towards the wing uh, from her traditional uh, forward role, kick one goal, a crucial goal there in the second quarter when it looked like for a moment um, the momentum was slowly swinging the Crocs way. Yeah, so 
yeah, she's just oh, so consistent every week, week in, week out. Um, so strong up for she's just just a powerhouse of um, Nightcliff Football Club. She keeps us really, really close together. She makes us all you know accountable for ourselves. And yeah, she's just, yeah a great player. Um, yeah, she's really um, yeah really powerful through that uh, center cor- corridor coming up. Um, and she can just yeah kick it from pretty much anywhere. And it was such a crucial part of the game as well because. Crocs were catching up to us and we needed to uh, uh, get a score on the board and she did that for us like she always does, comes back and, yeah, gives us that edge that we need. I'm interested to know what was said within the group um, at three-quarter time. At, at that stage, it's nine points the difference. You've kind of got the Crocs at an arm's length, but the game is by no means in the bag. What is being said by the coaches? What is being said by Eliza Morrison there in the huddle? Yeah, so it all started with like um, Shannon Miller. She just really wanted us to want it for ourselves. She kind of gave us every, all the information we needed to go into the last quarter, and um, she just really put it back on us. And if you said to us, if we really want it, then then we have to go out there and work for it. And yeah, she made us really accountable for ourselves. And Eliza Morrison just wanted us to do the same: do it for ourselves, do it for the club, do it for our Tigers family. And and that's what got us over the line is that um, the, the drive to, you know, just succeed as a team, really, um, have that success. Being our first uh, final win in, you know, the history of our women's team, yeah, it just gave us that little bit of push over the line, which is, yeah, it's really great. Eliza's such a great leader and she always gives us um, good quarter-time, half-time chats, makes us really accountable for ourselves, gives us that uh, push that we need. <laughs> Obviously, you've got the focus coming up on this weekend, but just to take a breath for the moment, um, what does it mean when, when you hear those words of this was the first finals victory for the Nightcliffe women's program? Obviously, you made the finals last year and knocked out in the first round. You, you've won. You'll be coming up against a week in St Mary's team uh, this weekend. But on that overall context, from here going forward, it will ever be known in the history of your club, you're the first ever women's side to get a finals victory at Nightcliffe. Yeah, it, it yeah, it just gives you gives me goosebumps thinking about. It. I'm sure it gives all the girls goosebumps as well. But it, yeah, it's just a it's a privilege. It's a big thing that us girls um, in our team talk about a lot is that football is a privilege and not a right. And you know we earned our um, spot in the finals. And then yeah, yeah, it's just something so powerful. It's given us the drive to want to make it all the way to the grand final now. And yeah, St. Mary's is our next stepping stone and I'm sure that we're going to go in with the same sort of mindset into this final as well. That, um, yeah, just that it's going to be the first time for us and, and as a team, um, we have such a good bond, um, yeah, and keeps us consistent, keeps us, yeah, all that powerful stuff. <laughs> <laughs> for, for your three goals on the weekend, all of them you technically put boot to ball in the goal square, all ranging in different uh, ways. Uh, like in the third quarter, obviously, you got a free kick for being taken high around the shoulder, managed to slot it through. Your third goal was more interesting. You originally picked the ball up from, from 40, 45 metres out from goal. You end up going for a run. Uh, Crawford, the Crocs, was on your hammer. You left the ball behind when you went for the bounce, <laughs> went back, got it, still had the time in the poised to be able to turn around and snap the goal. What's going, A, what was going through your head at the moment and B, you've probably had a chance now to look back at the vision. What do you think of it now? 
uh, I think now I should have kicked it a little bit further back, but um, I wasn't expecting it to be as wet down there as I thought it was. But I, when I did bounce it and I went, uh, uh, kind of went into a different mode, I was, had to use the my body around the player to kind of get that goal back. But yeah, I just kind of took off and I was like, oh, I don't know how much further I've got to go before I can, you know. So I just really wanted to make that goal count. And um, looking back now, now, yeah, there's definitely a few things I would have done differently. So as we said, you're... Vic- those, um, yeah. Yes, go ahead. Oh, yeah, those other goals, um, they were definitely uh, team-driven. Like um, my second goal, I think, was I was in the right place at the right time, straight from the hands of Michaela Ward. And, yeah, just that consistent teamwork just helps with all those goals and stuff. So. Obviously, the uh, qualifying final was played immediately after you between the Darwin Buffets and St Mary's. Um, what was the philosophy f- for for the team immediately after your game? Was it to still stay there at TAO Stadium and watch that game? Or was it, no, let's just go do our recovery and then we'll just focus later on on watching it on tape and, and trying to pick apart, obviously, the side that you knew by that stage you'd be up against? Um, no, so we all stayed around after the game and, and we watched a bit as a team um, just to see, you know, how they were coming into their first final. And um, I think it was a good for us to see where they were at. And then I think about half time ish when it kind of ran away into the bus side a bit, we kind of all just went off and did our recovery and, and started to get our focus on St. Mary's for the next week. Yes, that final result from the other game, 16-10-106, Darwin Buffett, St Mary's 5-3-33. Has the talk been about for, for coming into the game that you've got this weekend in the minor semi-final, 12-15pm Saturday at TIO Stadium, that'll probably be physical from the get-go, as in for any side that in the first week of the finals gets embarrassed or gets humbled by the opposition, normally uh, the, the word from their coaches, that's it, we've got to come out physical and we've got to make a statement. Are you expecting it to be uh, physical and hot footy from the get-go as St Mary's try to, I guess, make up for their embarrassment on the weekend? Yeah, well, last time we played them, they came out, yeah, really strong um, in the first few quarters and then the, the weather, um, or they come come off uh, scoring big in the first uh, quarter or so and then we had to play catch-up. So I think this time, you know, we're going to make sure that our focus is, yeah, being very strong from the start in um, overpowering them so that we can do what we did on the weekend and get those scores on fast so that we can, um, yeah, get the runaway for the rest of the game. Yeah, it's certainly shaping up to be a very intriguing clash this Saturday, TAO Stadium, St Mary's and Nightcliff. Lauren, thank you very much for joining us here. Congratulations again on taking part in Nightcliff's first ever uh, finals victory on the women's side of the game and all the very best as you enter the second week of your finals campaign. Thank you very much and thanks for having me. So again, recapping the results on the NTFL Women's Premier League first week of finals, Nightcliffe Tigers 9-4-58, defeating Southern District's Crocs 5-6-36. Uh, we don't have any goal kickers listed for Southern Districts, but for Nightcliffe, goal kickers 3 to Gooden, 2 to Irvine, 2 to Anion Smith, singles to Ward and Hill Carter. In the qualifying final, it was Darwin Buffett. They led by 22 points at halftime and then they blew St Mary's off the park. 16 10 
106 to 5333. Goal kickers for Darwin Buffett are not listed for St Mary's. It was three to long singles to Porter and Dan. Out of that, that means the Southern District's Crocs, the reigning premiers, have been eliminated from the final series. Pint, who were the minor premiers, undefeated, end up having the week off. So we look ahead to the semi-finals, and it looks like this. On semi-final one, which is the minor semi-final, when it progresses to the preliminary, loser is eliminated. Saturday, 12.15pm at TAO Stadium, it is St Mary's versus Nycliffe. And in the second semi-final, where the winner goes through to the grand final, and the loser goes into the preliminary final, 2.15pm on Saturday, TAO Stadium again, it is Pint Queen Ants versus the Darwin Buffets. Both of those games you can later watch on the AFL NTV YouTube page. QAFL Women's Footy Report. Well, the 2021 QAFLW Premiership season kicked off with a feel-good story. The absolute Hornets, who had a 16-game losing streak, it is no more. They defeated Cooperoo on the weekend, 7-10, 52-4-2-26. And we've got on the line the victorious coach of the Hornets, John Taylor. John, how are you? Very well, thanks, Peter. Fair to say the songs sound loud and proud there in the club rooms. What a fantastic win, ending that 16-game drought. Yeah, the girls were very excited and very pleased. They put in a lot of hard work since November, and uh, we were very lucky. It sort of all came to on the, on the in the first game. So um, we we're all very excited. And yes, you're correct. They did sing that song very loud and proud. Can you talk us through first of all before we even get to uh, the round one result, preparing a side for this year? As we know, um, absolutely had uh, in the last couple of years, we're struggling to get a win. You know, trying to get everyone motivated for a new season, particularly the odd 2020 that we went through with the Queensland League. We started with a couple of rounds, then the pandemic hit, then we paused, and then the season started later again and, and finished. And then obviously you had a shortened pre-season to get things underway in February. What was that all like? Plus obviously trying to recruit new players in at the same time. Uh, yeah, look, it was all, uh, I suppose, rather hard. It's my first year there, but I was lucky enough to get a, a good crew together that I've worked with before and some coaches. Um, the players, look, I would have thought at the start the culture might have been a bit of a problem there at Ashley, but um, uh, surprisingly, it's that they have a very good culture. Um, so that, that was a good start there. So they sort of, even though they hadn't won a game, they, they'd already laid some really good foundations for a successful team. Um, you know, they had that commitment, uh, persistence, and resilience. Um, and, and look, they were excited, I suppose, with a new coach uh, and heading in the right direction. But you're right about recruiting. It was a little bit hard trying to get players to come to the, the bottom team. But um, well, probably fortunate that I've been in the um, player pathway for about 35 years. So I'd already sort of had the hands on a few good young players there, which uh, happily came across. So And we picked up a couple of experienced ones as well. Uh, and, and all blended together. So the, the commitment from the girls, they were really excited to actually win a game so uh, from November onwards they were sort of training really hard working really hard and, uh, and it sort of paid off but we'll see how, we need to see how long it lasts so it's only the first game and that begs the question for yourself John uh, what did you want to take on the Hornets gig it is the hardest road when you take over a side that's won a couple of wooden spoons it's a long road to build that way back up well look it is um, being involved in the women's footy I mean I, I'd retired it one stage, but sort of got dragged back into the 
the female side of things. And, and what I'd found is that uh, just their enthusiasm and passion is, is just unbelievable. So it sort of rekindled, I suppose, my my uh, flame to get back into coaching. Um, look, Aspley's probably one of the best resourced clubs uh, in the league in Queensland. Uh, and, and this year they sort of made a commitment to get really behind the um, the women's program. So that was the first thing um, that sort of appealed to me. Um, and, and then again, look, taking on the bottom side, it's, an, it's another team. There's only one way that you can go. So uh, I suppose it was the case that there wasn't much chance of failure there. So um, it was just a matter of getting some more talent. As I said, they were very uh, keen and young side and committed. Uh, they just need a little bit of help and a little bit of direction and a few extra players with a bit of polish to sort of finish off. And, and at this stage, that's what we've found and that's what we're working on. Um, and and at, you know, it's falling into place. So, And how important is it to recruit a player, for example, like Courtney Daniak, who came from Wilston Grange Gorillas? She would have been through the similar situation. The Gorillas at one stage were easy beats. They managed to turn around a few years ago and end up winning the flag. How important is it to have that player who's been through all of that before? Yeah, look, extremely important. Court came the year before, so she'd experienced that year where they didn't win a game. Um, but but very important, Alana Perry has come across from Cooperoo, who's played in a grand final with Cooperoo before, a winning grand final, I think it was. Um, we're very lucky to have, uh, again, with the coaching crew, um, Tenen Gamble as their strength and conditioning. So she's worked with the, the Firebirds, the Brisbane Lions, and also the Suns. Uh, and she's come on board and she just brings a whole new range of energy and, and professionalism. Um, the coaches that I've got on board as well um, have worked with Lions Academy, uh, worked with me in the player pathway. Uh, so we could hit the ground running as a coaching crew because they understood how I coach and, and what I'm after. Um, but that those couple of experienced players are really important, and they they already had a couple. Um, but as I said, they just they need another half a dozen quality players or another ten. We'd like probably another fifteen, but. Um, it certainly, as I said, and look, it was a young team last year. Their average age would have been around about 20 with a couple of older girls in there as well. So that year of experience, even though it wasn't uh, successful, um, just sort of hardened them up and had them ready to go this year and just hungry for success. So um, they're all sort of working together and they, they work together really well. So really good crew. And what can you tell us about uh, Lucia Lessi, who was named uh, best on ground in the victory? Uh, Lucia is uh, definitely an up-and-coming young talent. Uh, again, lucky to work with her in the player pathway. So she was an Ashley junior um, and then had a little time over there at Grange. But she, I managed to get her to come back, which was very fortunate. Um, very good talent, very good understanding of football. Uh, has really good skills working on her fitness and things like that at the moment. But... Um, Certainly one to look for on a list in the in the very near future, I think. A couple of goals coming from Michaelia Campbell. Yeah, look, um, probably a shock to her having the ball come down so often and, and a bit of quality football, so she's sort of not used to that. Um, but she presented very well. She's worked very hard again, so she took a couple of very good marks. Uh, there's a couple there she missed, but um, she was still in front and presenting. Um, so I'm sure, I, I think 2-2 might be just the start for her. So... Um, we're pretty happy and she's a very good shot at goal and a very good talker up the front there. So it's probably another one of the older ones that sort of 
um, although it didn't stand out last year, um, is certainly helping us this year. Uh, Melissa McPhee and Charlotte Mullins also named amongst the best. Yeah, uh, uh, Melissa's a, 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 well, I was going to say a young player, but an older player. She's come from a lower division and it's, it's sort of been hanging around there for a while and probably should have been playing in the top division probably five years ago. But uh, extremely good soccer background, um, a very aggressive player and, and just played her role in the forward line and in the midfield very well. Uh, so that's her first uh, QFLW game and, and she did very well. So we're looking for big things from her because she's just come back from a slight calf injury as well. So that was a very good start for her. Uh, Charlie Mullins, um, young 17-year-old, and look, if she keeps heading the way she is, uh, she'll definitely be on a, on a list in a year or two's time. But she, she's just um, something brilliant to look at. So when she turns it on, she really turns it on. Of course, the record shows it was a comfortable victory by 26 points over Cooper Roo, but putting on the uh, the critical coaching glasses for a moment, what did you see out of that victory that you'd still like to improve on? Oh, look, there's, there's lots of little things. Um, we've got a bit of rain here tonight, so we'll probably sit down and look at a couple of quarters tonight in the dressing rooms. Um, again, just that support and hard run. Um, communication still needs to pick up. There's a few times there we had a bit of time to use the ball better, but no one was telling them they had time. Um, look, it's probably 50 things. Um, there's, there's no big one stand out there at all, um, but there's just lots of little things that we just have to keep fine-tuning as we go. Um, and, and hopefully, as I said at this stage, we need to sort of maintain what we've done and hopefully that's the foundation and the, where we're starting from when we build up from here. But... Uh, We've spoken about it at the start of the year. Uh, we think it's going to take us the whole year just to get understand because we have a lot of new players, um, but uh, looking good at this stage. And what's the feeling amongst the group about possibly going with back-to-back victories to start the season? You take on a cool and gatter side uh, this weekend. On paper before the start of the season, you would have thought, oh, geez, that's a tough matchup. But as we've seen at the moment, uh, they're a weakened side, missing a number of players, and they had a heavy loss to Yoronga on the weekend. Some may say they're right for the picking. Uh, well, some might say that. Um, we've got to demonstrate that we can duplicate what we did this week. Um, so obviously that's something that we couldn't do in the last two years. So that's our first not to worry about cool and gather too much is just worry about our own performance. Uh, and if we if we play well and we repeat the good things that we did and improve on some of the bad things, I suppose it'll put us in a position um, to be in a winning spot. Um, Cooley, look, all our teams this week will lose all the academy players from the Suns and the Lions. So we end up losing five of those straight away, including Lucia and Charlie that you mentioned just before. Uh, I know Cooley lose a few, but I wouldn't be surprised with both Lions and Suns back in town that they may actually pick up three or four AFLW players. So I'm not really considering this to be an easy game at this stage. But as I said, we're sort of we just need to concentrate on on what we're doing and how we do it, and to uh, you know play four quarters of footy. Well, John, thank you very much for joining us. Congratulations on that draft breaking victory for Apsley, and all the very best as you try to make it two from two for the Hornets to kick off the 2021 QAFLW season. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for your support.
And just recapping that score again, the Apsley Hornets 7-10-52, defeating Cooperoo 4-2-26 for Apsley. Two goals to Campbell, singles to Lessie, Janiek, Mullins, Perry and Coteus. And for the best players, Lessie, McPhee and Mullins. For Cooperoo, two to McKenzie, singles to Hargraves and Govan. And their best players, Tease, Muir and Grace. To other games in the QAFLW round one, Bond University 6-6-42, defeated Maruchidor 3-5. 23 for Bond University, two to Thorne, singles to Dankert, Tarlington, Dulla and O'Brien, Dankert, Ma and Puller were named amongst their best for Maruchidor, singles to David, Jupy and Muller, Epstein, Crack and Gregory were named amongst the best players. Wollstone Grange Gorillas, 2-6-18, went down to the UQ Red Lions, 8-9-57 for the Red Lions, Brennan kicked three, singles to Middleton, Crowley Long, Vetter and Benjamin, Crowley Long, and Hunt named amongst the best for the Gorillas. Goals to Sheridan and O'Flattery uh, named amongst the best Hewitt, Carter and Finlay. And the grand final rematch saw Yoronga South Brisbane 9 11 65 defeat Coolangatta Tweed just the Eight behind. For the Devils, it was three goals to Farquharson, singles to Edwards, Oakenseen, Goodwin, Borgore, Zanka, Close, and McDonald. Uh, best players, Walsh, Marliff, and Stock. For the Bluebirds, uh, best players, Ewer, Wynn, and Pynchon. Looking ahead to round two of the QAFLW season, and this weekend sees Bond University play Cooperu. That's 2 p.m. at Bond University on Saturday afternoon. The other games all on Saturday, 3 p.m. at Maroochydore. The Roos are playing host, the UQ Red Lions. Uh, 4 p.m. at Graham Road. It's the Apsley Hornets versus the Coolangatta Bluebirds. And 4.45 p.m., the Twilight Game at Leishon Park. Yeronga South Brisbane Devils playing host to the Wollstone Grange Gorillas. VFL Women's Footy Report. And joining us on the line now as a guest we've had a number of times on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. We haven't heard from her in the last uh, 24 months. We'll explain why. Part of the reason you'll know about how it affected our crazy world with COVID-19. But it's great to not only have her back on the line, but out there and dominating on the footy field. From the Montreal Angels originally, now of the Southern Saints in the VFLW, it's Valerie Moreau. Valerie, how are you? Hi, Pete. I am good. How are you? I'm great, but I want to know how you are for what's been a, a crazy 22 to 24 months. And the last time we spoke to you, you were getting ready, ramping up for, for season 2019. Unfortunately, as happens in footy, injuries happen. Um, you, you had an ACL. You were out for 12 months. You're ready to come back. And then a pandemic hits and Victorian football is completely wiped out. What has the last two years been like for you? Ah, gosh, um, a lot of things happened. Uh, there's been a few, um, well, a couple of surgeries. The first one you mentioned, yeah, the ACL, that's where it all started. Um, I had a few niggles with my hands a bit later on. Um, so a lot of rehab. Um, the first year especially was um, focusing on rehab, but also with my neural at the same at the time. Um, so it did, um, it did, look, I, it, it pushed my rehab back a little because I really, um, I was really happy of, Having that gig, so I really focused on that for a little while and did decide to put my rehab, not aside, but um, secondary as well. I just didn't want to rush it. Um, I've seen, seen too many people coming back and doing it again, and then I just really wanted to get it right. So I uh, took my time to get it right, enjoyed my time at the Saints um, as part of the, um, 
Saturdays, so I'll you um, support him um, at time. Um, and then COVID happened, like you said, uh, that changed all of the plans. Uh, but it did give me even more time to um, get all of the rehab really, really right. Um, I don't think I would have been 100% ready to go if the season would have had to happen in um, 2020. Um, so it was a bit of a blessing in disguise for me. Um, I was pushing to come back for International Cup at the time, which was for the same reason cancelled. Um, so again, gave me just more time to get everything everything right with my body, my everything, get every single muscle right to make sure that um, I'm in the best position now for 20, uh, 2021, finally. Yes, we've finally got you out there and, and you alluded to a question I was going to ask, which was, you know, has it turned into a blessing in disguise where, okay, yes, from a mental point of view and we're all being locked down, that's a bit frustrated. But on the other on the other side, physically, it's allowed you more time for your body to heal and you look slimmer than ever. Can, can you talk about, obviously, the change for you in your body shape, your athleticism, PBs when it comes to running, weightlifting, in fact? How much have you changed as you've become more and more professional since obviously the first time we spoke to you back in 2016 when you were just running around having a kick for the Montreal Angels. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely focus a lot of um, getting everything right, doing everything as, a, as elite as I can as I can do it here. Um, so doing all the running at the gym, focusing on every um, little thing, uh, whether it's getting ready with um, warming up and uh, stretching and stuff that I would kind of not escape when I was back home, but um, would do it a little too quick, probably. <laughs> um, so I, just making sure that I do all of those things right um, at the moment. Uh, focused a lot on doing all of the rehab exercises extremely well. So again, just make sure everything was right. And um, look, that led to me having uh, probably the best preseason I've ever had. And uh, yeah, personal best for um, 2K time trial or feeling the greatest I've ever felt physically, mentally. It's just... Um, I'm pretty much in the, the best position I've ever been at the moment, which is a good feeling. Um, I don't want to jinx it because the last time I felt that way was literally just doing, before doing my ACL. So <laughs> let's not jinx it. But um, now, look, it's been, uh, I'm just taking it as a two year preseason and it's put me in the best shape possible right now. So let's see what, um, what happens in 2021 following that work. As we spoke to Frankie Hocking at the uh, VFLW media launch uh, for the Southern Saints, you are still the Southern Saints, but the management of the team has changed it away. It's no longer uh, based out of Moorabbin being run by the St Kilda Football Club. Of course, on the men's side, they've got this alignment with the Sandringham Zebras, and as such, the Sandringham Zebras have virtually taken over the running of the Southern Saints. So for you, the player, uh, what does that mean? Um, Obviously, relocating into Sandringham, and, and how the program and everything has changed as you prepare as footballers to launch a, a campaign to maybe win the premiership in 2021? <laughs> Hopefully, that's always the goal. Um, look, I think the, the move has been pretty smooth. Um, we've always been really well supported by both clubs, whether it was St. Kilda Football Club or San Miguel, uh whatever it was, 60-40 or now 40-60 or however we want to look at it now. Um, it's still an alignment between the two clubs and... Um, Look, I think this year the biggest difference is we uh, we feel a lot closer um, to Sandringham Football Club and the relationship between the VFL and the VFLW has just been straightening um, a lot more, which helps us feel um, a lot more like home, I would say. Um, we have been feeling a little bit maybe in between um, over the past year between uh, we're, we're St. Killer, but we're training a bit in Sandringham and 
how do we describe who we are really um, could have been a bit um, not confusing, but just a bit of a not really straightforward. While now we can just say, yeah, we are Sound and Saints. We're made out of out, out of Sandringham, and um, we are we are Sandringham. We are yes, Sound and Saints. We are we're still a bit of everything, but um, it is officially home. And going to Trevor Barker every day just just feels like like home. Um, going to the same training, well, most most of the time the same facilities. We're still using um, let's at the moment Seaford um, facilities from St Kilda down in Seaford as the ground for us is under maintenance. But overall, um, Trevor Barker is officially home, and it just feels it feels good, feels supported. Um, the management team from Sandringham has um, has been well welcoming, has been really making us feel like um, we are meant to be there, and we are feeling the, we are feeling the love absolutely. You had a good pre-season, um, despite even the whole five-day lockdown stopping everyone for a moment, which uh, knocked out a weekend of pre-season games. But the last pre-season game was a couple win over Williamstown. Um, that fast start, ironically, was replicated. Um, instead of being a first quarter fast start, a second quarter fast start uh, against Essendon. This was an interesting match. You were taking on the Bombers at the hangar. Now, most of us, when we were talking on our pre-game coverage on Saturday, uh, most of us did tip Essendon, to be honest, because we looked at their side going, geez, they've got a lot of players over from their 2019 squad. They've retained a core when a lot of other teams yep. have had their uh, players and list turnover because of everything that's gone crazy. And now that the seasons have aligned, there was, you know, a lot of reasons behind why these lists have changed. So we thought, geez, this is going to be a task for the Southern Saints. But that second quarter, you blew them apart with five goals. As much as a three-goal win in the end, those couple of goals to Essendon were late in the game, so you virtually held that buffer all game. Uh, first of all, what was the key message from Dale Robinson coming out of that victory? Um, look, we... Oh, you're right, it was a bit of a tricky game, uh, but it, we, it was just to go out there and have fun. Just the fact that we had footy again going on, um, playing a game for points again, it was literally to go out there and have fun. Um, that victory just was the... Um, I think it was the, the, the cherry on top of the Sunday because we've put in so much hard work. And um, you've mentioned that Essendon has kept um, the core of their team. So did we, I think, off-season. The girls have worked so hard um, during COVID to just remain connected um, and remain fit and mentally and physically fit. Uh, the support for, for each other was there. And um, I think that that victory was um, just showed that commitment that we made to each other in the off-season and then we were able to um, put it on the field and just, yeah, just win all together. It was just a great feeling of uh, we, we did it as a team. We did it all together. Um, we don't really have any superstars, I would say, in the team. Like, we don't have um, major names when when you think I think about the Southern Saints. However, we do work as one whole group. Everyone plays their role and we play it all together. And I think that that victory was... Um, was the proof of that and it was just a, a great feeling overall um, to get the win at the end of the day. Checking out the report from Will Michael on the game, uh, named amongst the best players, um, Hannah Stewart and Jess Matten for their uh, work at the stoppages in the middle of the ground. Yeah. Yeah, these two are simply amazing. Look, uh, our, all of the, everyone has been really amazing so far, but the meaties, the defense, the defense team, like, uh, Everyone has played the role. Everyone has put in the hard work. Hannah has been, I don't think I've ever, never seen her as fit as she is. Um, and she is so smart around the, around the, um, the ground, around the footy at the stoppages. She knows where to go. She finds the footy and she, um, she finds where, where she, she, where she needs to be next. Um, same with Jess. Um, she's come, come back to us a few times now and she, um, her impact on the game is just 
amazing. She is smart. She's composed. Um, and she, she can do the work in the mid, but she also can finish all um, up on the ground and finish with some, some goals that we see, we've seen on the weekend with three goals there. Uh, definitely, yeah, two of our best players, and I can't wait to see what they can do in 2021 for us. And the defence standing up strong. Uh, Lucy Burke back there with some good marking and positioning, and she was actually supported by Poppy Kelly, who was doing a bit of double time, a bit of ruck work, and then uh, dropping back to fill the hole. Yeah, look, these two have had an amazing game again, and I'm not surprised they put in the hard work. Um, Honor Poppy's been working hard at the FLW level, and Lucy's just been, since day one, one of the first ones in at the club for training, um, always put in the hard work, and she uh, it, she's just a big presence there. Um, she knows where to go. She uses her body well, and um, same with Poppy. I think on the weekend, I don't know how many intercept marks she took, but she was always finding that, that spot uh, where she had to be. Her communication was awesome. Um, it was yeah one of the best games I think I've seen them play. And for yourself personally, two goals, and that must be pleasing, not just in the aspect of being able to help the team out with the victory of this game, but I guess the one thing people uh, noticed about you when you were playing VFLW, uh, for example, with Essendon a, a few years ago, was great on baller, ferocious at it, hasn't had any scoreboard impact. That was a couple of years ago. Now you've seemed to have added that to your game. Yeah, look, there's still a bit of work to do. I've missed that easy um um, set shot on goals to start the game with, but um, I have worked hard on that um, in the um, in the off season during COVID and then in the preseason. Um, I do want to use my body well and then be able to um, to finish. Um, not only yeah, do the hard things, do the hard work, but be able to to finish and make it count. Um, it has been an issue for me in the past, and it's still something that I will work on every uh, every week. It's never um, perfect, so yeah, definitely a bit of um, of work to do still there. But I managed to do it on the weekend. But um, to be honest, it was from um, a lot of uh, teamwork. We just connected well, and that first goal was initially handed to me by um, by my teammate there who broke out of the tackle, and I was just alone in front of the goal, um, which almost turned out to be a behind because um, I don't know if you've seen it, but I was right in between the two posts, and I almost kicked it, and I um, took a second to realize that um, I was about to kick it in the run, in between the wrong posts. <laughs> so I had to take a few more steps, but um, yeah, it's, um, it's an aspect of the game that I do want to be able to... Um, to bring in and it's to, to be, able, be able to finish and um, I've worked hard on it and I still work hard in, over the next few weeks. And talking about working hard, you'll be working hard this weekend, a big challenge coming up uh, on Saturday at Victoria Park, also a WARFradio.com VFLW match of the day. You're taking on the reigning Premier, so here's a chance early on in the season to really see where you stand. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a good challenge. It'll be a good way for us to see um, where we're at. Um, but I definitely believe in our chances to win this game. If we play as a team um, and play the Saints way, we are extremely hard to beat. Um, and I have no doubt that we'll be bringing that on Saturday at Big Fox against um, what Collingwood. That is a pretty good side, but um, I think we, we will be right up there with them. Um, I think we've all worked hard. We've, um, we're in top shape. And uh, when we connect, when we play out in St. Quiddy. We are a pretty dangerous team. So it'll be a good one to watch. Well, Valerie, thanks for joining us again. Congratulations on the opening round victory against Essendon and all the very best as you take on the reigning premiers this Saturday and for the remainder of the 2021 VFLW season. Thank you, Pete. Thanks for the call. So let's take a look back at the results from round one of the VFL Women's Competition for 2021. And we kicked off at Arden Street Oval on the Saturday morning with two new teams in the competition, North Melbourne and the Richmond-aligned Port Melbourne. And in the end, it was the Borough 
Eight seven fifty five defeating the Kangaroos three four twenty two. It was just eight points the difference at half time, and after that, Port Melbourne put on five goals four to just one goal three uh, for the Barra three to Christina Bernardi singles to McNamara, Wilson, Locke, Edmonds, and Kai's Melissa Kai's the Port Melbourne captain named best on ground for the Barra for the Kangaroos singles to Brown Hamilton and their captain Keely uh, Sarah Skinner named best on ground for North Melbourne. To Deakin University, where Collingwood hung on in a thriller, 7-2-44 to the Cats, 6-6-42. The Cats kicked three goals in that final term. It just fell two points short. Talking about three goals, it was three goals to Olivia Barber for the Cats. Clark kicked two and Maloney won. Renee Karras named their best on. For the victors, for Collingwood, Imogen Barnett kicked four goals. Singles to Xander, Smith and Shevland. Imogen Barnett also named as their best player. And the other game on the Saturday saw... The Casey Demons, 7-13-55, account for Carlton, 3-1-19. For the Demons, Melbourne AFLW-listed footballer Brianna Tarrant kicked five goals. Milford and Fellows with the others. Uh, best player on ground, Kelly Thompson, uh, defender formerly from uh, Seaford. Uh, for Carlton, it was two to Paige Trudgeon and one to Lawrence. Jen Liu was named their best on ground. To Sunday football, the Western Bulldogs, 11-6-72, defeated Hawthorne, 3 3- 660. Uh, the big news coming out of that game uh, for Hawthorne defender Jess Trend. Unfortunately, has done her ACL and will now begin her rehab process. We wish her all the very best and hope to see her back kicking butt in 2022. Uh, for the Bulldogs, a lot of goal kickers. Brittany Goodnick was their only multiple goal scorer with two singles to Morris Dalton, Pritchard, Scott, Murphy, Lagoya, Hards, Grant, Sandral, and Van Oosterwick. Uh, Brittany Gutnick was named as best on. For the Hawks, singles to Williams, McElvina, and Owen. Owen was named their best on ground. To the hangar in Essendon, we spoke earlier with Valley Moreau of the Southern Saints. They were victors 7-5-47 to 4-5-29. For the Southern Saints, Matten with three, Moreau with two, and Bahana and DeAngelis scored singles. At Matten was named as best on ground. For the Bombers, two to Alex Quigley, singles to McIntosh and Barber. Courtney Eugel, their vice captain, named best on ground. Out to Latrobe University where Darabin 1915 went down to Weemstown in a thriller 2-5-17. Goal kickers for the Seagulls, Tripodi and Williamson. Williamson named best on ground there for Williamstown. Uh, Darabin's only goal kicker was Munro. Cubbish named their best on ground. So let's have a look ahead to VFL Women's Round 2 football. Remember they are announcing Round by round the fixture, which is coming out on Monday afternoons. We can confirm there's three games on Saturday, three games on Sunday. Saturday, 12 p.m. down at Deakin University, Warren Ponds. It's Geelong versus Williamstown. 12 p.m. at Victoria Park. This will be our WARFradio.com match of the day. It is Collingwood versus the Southern Saints. And 1 p.m. at Casey Fields. This is part of a technical doubleheader with the AFLW. It's the Casey Demons versus Essendon. This game is free for supporters to attend, but they must leave the venue after the game. The ground will be cleared and they'll be permitted back in afterwards, obviously for that night game between Melbourne and St Kilda and the AFLW. On Sunday morning at 9.30am, kicking the jaw off the grass at Arden Street Oval, it's North Melbourne versus the Western Bulldogs. And then we've got a doubleheader at La Trobe University Bundura. At 11.30am, it is Darabin versus Hawthorne. 
and that will be followed by Carlton versus Port Melbourne. Both of those games will be live on WARFradio.com and also via the VFLW video stream at YouTube.com forward slash AFL Victoria. SANFL Women's Footy Report. And for the Bays, it was a big win over the weekend in round one of the SNFL Women's Competition, defeating Sturt 8-4-52 to 3-2-20. Great way for them to kick off the season. And we've got on the line the head coach of the Glenelg women's team in Jason Farrell. Jason, how are you? Excellent, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all. That's got to bring a smile to your dial. Not only a big win, but you were fast out of the blocks with a three-goal first term against Sturt. Yeah, you never really know how round one's going to play out, to be honest. You, you do all the right things throughout the pre-season and um, um, you come up against an opposition who there's really no form line to go by. So you're kind of um, you're hoping that you've lined everything up in a row and we went out and it, it appears that we did for the start of the game, that's for sure. How was it coming into this season, coming off a, a strange 2020, where, of course, for the pandemic in Victoria, it stopped the season. All the other leagues had kind of half a season. The Sandfall women's competition had a handful of games. It stopped and it restarted again. And then, of course, you're preparing for this early season off the back of a, I guess you could almost call it late season from last year. Mixed in there as well, but you also had a fair turnover on your list. Yeah, look... Um in 2019 and 2020, just talking about our list composition, we've actually brought in 20 new players both years, um, and 30 players from those two years have actually rolled over and are still in our program. Um, we've brought in another 13 this year, but it's certainly not as much change as what we've had previous. In terms of last season, um, to be honest, we probably showed the signs of being fairly inexperienced and having such a, a turnover of players. So our season wasn't tracking as well as we'd hoped. Um, before the COVID shutdown, but we've gone considerably backwards post that, and I guess our focus through the COVID break was um, more on the player welfare than it was actually the football content. So um, from that regard, some other clubs have continued to work really hard and they probably got the jump, but um, that's kind of been used as fuel uh, this off-season, and um, I know our entire playing group have actually learned a fair bit from the last couple of years, and also stung a little bit from uh, the poor showing we had last year. So I think our preparation for this season, um, aside from the two-week COVID shutdown we had at the start of our pre-season, has been exceptional. And I think we're trying to to bridge the gap and make some amends for, for what was a poor showing last year. You talk about player welfare. What was the, I guess, bonding experience like that the team managed to have by going up to Darwin during the preseason? You took on the NTFL women's uh, rep side. Uh, they did win the game comfortably, but again, you were taking on a whole league plus for the sides playing in the NTFL women's competition. They're two-thirds of the way through a season, so they're all at, I guess, uh, peak readiness as players yeah. for yourself. You're still, you're still warming up, and, and not to mention a bit of rain and, and all the uh, yeah. heat that's up there in Darwin. But at least for the team to be able to get together a trip away from Adelaide before obviously kicking off your season? Yeah, look, I, I don't want to harp too much on our excuses for not performing well. Um, fact is, it was an exciting uh, trip for our club as a whole, not just the women's program. Um, we were halfway through our pre-season, so that kind of probably showed where we're at. But pleasingly, our second half was quite strong, and I felt like some of the things we've been working on had started to click into gear. But from a team-building point of view and a club-building point of view, um, the, the trip up there was priceless. 
and um, the, the connections that um, the men and women now have based on that trip that we had is something that we couldn't have fabricated back here. So um, I think we're already seeing some significant benefits from that from a club point of view, you know, where the players are a lot more interactive and a lot more um, susceptible to each other now. So it's, it's actually been, there's a real different feel at the club and it's really special at the moment. So I just hope we can continue that on. Looking at your game over Sturt, um, Caitlin Swanson, who was actually the ex-Sturt captain who's come across to you, so she's obviously brought a little bit of IP as well on the opposition, which is always handy, uh, came through with eight disposals on the weekend, but more importantly, two goals. Yeah, look, um, Caitlin didn't play last year, so the turnover that Sturt have had in terms of their players has been fairly high as well, I think. So um, they've got a lot of juniors coming through. So in terms of her IP, it probably wasn't um, as great as what you would have thought, plus we kind of had an understanding of how they played based on last year. So we kind of had a little bit of info on that. But um, to be honest, she should have kicked four goals. She missed a couple of goals that I think someone of her calibre should have kicked. Um, but to walk away with two goals and she got one, she got both of them fairly early, I think she was pretty happy just to get that under her belt and, um, and play a pretty good game. Ali Gullick settling into the captaincy with 17 touches on the weekend. Yeah, look, Ali and particularly our whole leadership group, um, we want to be a player-driven program and our leadership group, led by Ellie, has, has really taken the bull by the horn. Um, so a lot of the improvements we see off the field have been driven by the playing group and the leaders, and in particular Ellie. So um, for her to come out and play so well, considering how much she's given to the program over this off-season, has been you know, a testament to, to how she's going and, and and the confidence she had. Chelsea Packer uh, led the way for you, uh, the former skipper, three goals on the weekend. Yeah, um, look, she's a bit of a utility, and we just thought we'd try a couple of things with her this off-season, and we know she can play pretty well in the back line, but um, we've just given her a little bit of an opportunity to uh, make some in-game changes where she can, you know, just be a little bit flexible and go forward, and she got, it was her turn to get a lick of the ice cream on the weekend, which was good. And uh, again, she probably could have had a couple more as well. It was a pretty good out, uh, outing for her. That's Danny Gain from Sam France. And uh, 21 touches, more importantly, four tackles. Yeah, well, another one that probably didn't capitalise on all the opportunities in front of goals. But um, uh, probably the best pre-season Sam has had under us. And this is her third season now. Um, in the sample when Elg and you can just see that she's confident and comfortable and understands what this level's about and um, she's had had a tremendous pre-season um, she's stronger than she's ever been and um, you know her standing in the in our program is pretty strong she was voted in as deputy vice captain this year so um, a lot of her hard work has been noticed internally which is great in a way, as a coach, way, is, is it pleasing to have such a big victory but also lose in some categories, knowing that, okay, we still have room to improve and get even better? I look at a few things such as a disposal efficiency at 66%, a little bit less than stirred at 73%, and uh, you lost in the contested marks 8-4. to four. So early on, you know, more than a five-goal victory, but still with areas to improve is plenty of positive signs. Yeah, no question. I, I actually... Um I think we did the work early, which was pleasing. Um, but we need to stay sharp. And perhaps our last three quarters were a little bit average. Whether that's a result of the fact that the game was 
probably put away. Um, I don't know, but certainly use the um, some of those stats as a bit of fuel for this week as well because um, if we're going to uh, reach our goals this season, um, we're going to have to fight those areas up against the best team. So, um, and it's great that we get this opportunity this week. Is that ideal to actually have um, uh, the, the reigning premiers up early? You've got North Adelaide. It's uh, this Saturday at High Sensor Stadium. Um, to be able to test yourself against them in round two, uh, knowing that whatever the result may be, win or loss, at least A, you get to see where you're at, and B, um, you know what to do planning forward to hopefully meet with them come finals down the road. Yeah, no question. It's definitely an advantage to get a look at them so early in the season and it probably you know a good showing sets us up for the rest of the year a poor showing probably identifies early some areas that we need to improve on so um we kind of you know get the benefits either way but um we want to be like north adelaide so um what better way to do that than come up against them and test that you know that they've been world beaters in our competition the last 12 months they're well well coached, uh, they're well led in terms of their players and their, and their leaders there. Um, we want what they've had, so just perfect timing for us now. As we said, it's only a one-game sample to go on, but for the KPIs that you set your team at the start of the year, how are you tracking just after week one? Uh, look, again, the last three quarters has probably soured some things that we'd hoped that we would have, um, in, well, seen better results at the end of the game, but um, look, we had more possessions, both contested uncontested, and we had significant more tackles as well than stirred on the weekend, so that that suggests to me that we're doing a lot of things wrong both sides of the ball um, we just need to make sure that we use the ball a lot better than what we did, and that's something that you know we, we do pride ourselves on being a skillful side, so the fact that we had a poor showing with our skills um, is a little bit disappointing, but again the players are probably uh, using this as an opportunity to sharpen that up now. And you talk about those tackles. Can you talk about the, the pressure that was put on uh, during the game from the likes of Jess Bates, seven tackles, and also Lucy Armitage with six? Yeah, look, it was. it's probably the best um, defensive game we've actually played, um, and, and the tackles indicate that. And we really did smother Sturt early and didn't give them a look in and, you know, that... The disparity in possessions and tackles early was probably, from a percentage point of view, even greater. And um, that's pleasing when you come in at the quarter-time break and go, well, you know what, we're getting a lot of the footy, but uh, we're restricting them when they are getting it as well. So, um, But the numbers at the end of the game, even even though we had a, uh, a poor last three quarters, was, was still very pleasing in our, in our advantage. And um, it just comes back to mindset. It doesn't take a lot of skill to actually put on defensive pressure. So... Um, I'm really pleased that our mindset was uh, to be quite aggressive defensively when the Oppo had the ball. Well, Jason, thank you very much for joining us for today's chat. Congratulations on the win against Sturt. Great way for the Bays to kick off the 2021 SANFL Women's Competition. And all the very best as you take on the reigning premiers at Highsense Stadium this weekend. Yeah. 
great. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for your call. So let's take a look back at round one results on the SANFL women's competition and the Bays 8-4-52 defeated Sturt 3-2-20. As we talked about for the Bays, Chelsea Packer kicked three goals. Sam Franson with 21 touches for the double blues. Isabel Kuiper with 18 touches. Two other games, the reigning premiers, North Adelaide 5-3-33 defeated South Adelaide 1-6-12 in the grand final rematch for the Roosters. Kelly Baltrop kicked two goals. Uh, Hannah Ewings with 22 touches. Talia Radden, the former AFLW footballer, with six marks. For the Panthers, Nicole Campbell kicked their only goal. Renee Moon had 23 touches. Norwood 2-4-16 went down to the Bloods. West Adelaide 4-6-30. For the Red Legs, uh, most disposals to Alicia Gallagher with 16 and uh, most tackles Lee Cutting with 9. Over for the Bloods, uh, it was Lauren Young with 23 touches and 9 marks. Madison Newman laid 9 tackles for the Bloods. And to the final game of Round one, Central District 8-5-53 defeated Woodville West Torrens 4-3-27. For the Bulldogs, Chantel Reynolds with three goals. Lauren Smith, 17 touches and six tackles. Meanwhile, for the Eagles, Jovanica Savich. I hope I said that correctly. 18 touches for her on the weekend. We look ahead to round two action. We've got a standalone Friday night game at Flinders University Stadium, South Adelaide, playing host to Norwood. A triple header on Saturday. All games at High Sense Stadium. That's West Adelaide's home ground. Uh, we'll keep the dew off the grass in the morning with Central District Bulldogs versus Sturt. Then the crack of the game between Glenelg and North Adelaide, the Bays and the Roosters. And then we round out the day with West Adelaide versus Woodville West Torrens. WAFL Women's Footy Report. Well, it's been a good start to the year for Swan Districts in the WAFL Women's Competition. They're two and zip, and they've got a big test coming up this weekend as they take on the reigning Premier's Peel Thunder. It's great to have on the line a gentleman who previously coached Peel Thunder, and he's looking to knock them off this weekend. He is the head coach of Swan Districts. His name is Adam Dancy. Adam, how are you? Very well, Peter. Thanks for having us on the show. Great to have you on the line and uh, must be feeling good at the moment. Two and zip, a close win in round one, but this previous weekend against the Bulldogs, a handy 53-point victory. Yeah, definitely. Um, playing Claremont in round one was a challenge. Uh, Claremont, a very good side. We rate them um, as extremely tough opposition. They defend hard. They spread well. So nice to come away with an early victory there in, in what was 40-degree heat for us. How did you feel coming into this game against South Fremantle? Because in the past, South Fremantle have been known as Easy Beach. They had only lost by three points in round one, so that must have raised the eyebrow a bit coming into round two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, South Fremantle, uh, a new side to the Waffle W competition. They've got a lot of good youth coming through their program from their Rogers Cup side. So we thought it would be a really good challenge for us. Um, new game style, new game plan, new methodology for us as well. So a great challenge. Um, but definitely raised a few eyebrows and, and got us thinking about our matchups and how we wanted to go about it. Uh, one handy inclusion for you uh, coming into this uh, round two match has been uh, Fremantle footballer Michaelia Hyde. She was available for you and got on the scoreboard straight away. Yeah, absolutely. Mickey's a, a Swan um, Districts footballer. Um, you know, what a fantastic story she's been this year from being a train on to no contract to having a contract, playing the first two or three rounds for Frio. 
unlucky um, to be coming back to us. And, you know, we certainly hope she gets her um, shot again at the highest level with, with Coops and the Dockers. Um, and hopefully, you know, that's this week. But she's been absolutely fantastic. And, and she lifts the group. She's a great spirit and super character. You've actually added some height with the forward line as well. Basketball prodigy Sarah Lake um, got a give-and-go goal, actually, uh, early on in the contest. Um, can you talk about her recruitment into uh, the Black Ducks? Yeah, so she's come out of the um, the Metro Development Programs through the State Academy and, and Clint Degabrot and the team there. Um, she's absolutely a talent. Fantastic, obviously, as a basketballer. She's great body size, still growing. Um, her hands are massive. And she's developing so quickly. She's a sponge. Literally, um, the information we're able to give her and, and focus her on is fantastic. And, and she loves the contest, so she's really physical the way she goes about her football as well. Um, got a bit of development left in her, but I think that'll be well and truly harnessed this year within the state program, but also outside. And then hopefully she gets her chance at the highest level at the end of the year as well. Uh, Vadana aced a couple of goals for her. Uh, impressive, her second game uh, for Swan Districts. Yeah, Dana's an absolute star. We, we rate her really highly. She's fierce in at the contest, really strong body, mature body. Um, again, new to the new to football, only been playing for two years. But she just runs straight lines and, and her efforts, she'll have five or six efforts, um, you know, before she wins the ball. But she just keeps going like a terrier. And she got her reward this weekend too, a couple of goals that she worked really hard for. And you've got some good couple of good ball winners, I should say, in there. You've got Jess Cox, you've got Tara Stribley as well. All seem to be on song uh, on the weekend. Yeah, I suppose we've probably given them a bit of license this year to really show their talent and flair and bring out their character the way they play footy. And our, our style of football, our game play is really simple. So it's very, we think, very easy for them to adapt um, and, and be able to you know, play to their strengths um, without restriction or fear of reprisal because they might get it wrong. Um, Coxie, I've known for a lot of years back when I was coaching her at State Academy. She's a solid character, loves her footy. She's really big on the improvement. And, and Tara Stribley is just a natural star. She plays a natural game. There's a few things that we'll continue to work with on her, but um, yeah, she's absolutely fantastic. And it wasn't just the midfielders and forwards catching the coaches' eyes uh, from the round two victory over South Fremantle, but also named amongst the best defender, Amy Ralph. Yeah, Amy's been in footy for a while and I suppose she's a natural athlete the way we view her. She's got great speed, she's tall, she's physical in the contest. She loves to attack the ball, which we implore all of our backs to do. Um, We really rate our back six, um, and Namit, Namit, uh, Jamie Henry. We've got Emma Maguire, former West Coast Eagle and Docker down there as well, Uh, Eliza Gelmi. So the the backs and even um, Lauren Osborne, you know, they're, they're brave, which is how we like them to play. They're big on taking risks. Um, again, something we implore them to do. We, we like them to be really energetic about the way they attack the ball and, and to make good decisions. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't, but on the weekend it paid off for us. For yourself, looking back at those two results, as much as obviously they're different opponents, from your round one win to your round two win, what were you happy that you improved on the most over the past seven days? I think there's probably two keys that stand out for us. We, we knew we were going to be good at hunting the ball and, and winning the inside contest um, in those two games. But I think the ball movement and our confidence with ball in hand, but also our conversion coming off a, a game of, I think it was two goals, eight to, to seven or eight, eight goals, 11. You know, we've had probably the same amount of opportunity, but against South Romana, we, we connected a lot better with our forwards. Um, so they're, they're probably the two main ones that stick out for me. 
Looking ahead to the clash with Peel Thunder, reigning premiers, you've got them in the primetime slot, 5pm on Saturday night. How does it feel to have this big test coming up early in the season? Well, I think it's actually really good, but not just for us. I think it sets a new standard for the competition as well, being the two premier teams get to have such an early bout. Um, Peel are playing a really exciting brand of footy. They've got a lot of youth coming through their Rogers Cup program. With Steve there, who's who's followed on from the development methodology put in place of the younger group. Um, they love to attack. They're good at scoring. But we're hopeful that we can challenge them with our defensive style and possibly catch them through the middle of the field. Well, Adam, thank you very much for joining us. Congratulations again on the victories to date. Two and zip to start the season. And all the very best in the Saturday primetime slot against Peel Thunder. Fantastic, Peter. Appreciate your time. Cheers. And taking a quick look at the results from round two of the West Australian Football League Women's Competition. As we mentioned earlier, Swan Districts 8-11-59 defeated South Fremantle 1 straight 6. Saturday, Twilight Football saw Peel Thunder 10-10-70 crush Subiaco 4-2-26. What was a close one on Sunday afternoon, Claremont 2-5-17 defeating the East Fremantle Sharks 1-3-9. Looking ahead to round three action, we've got two games on the Saturday one on the Sunday. Uh, lunchtime on Saturday, East Fremantle versus Subiaco at New Choice Homes Park. Then the Twilight fixture primetime, David Gray's Arena, Peel Thunder versus Swan Districts bounce down at 5pm. And then on Sunday at 1 o'clock at Revo Fitness Stadium, it's Claremont versus South Fremantle. The East Frio Subiaco game will be on the West Australian website while going through the WAFL Facebook page stream will be the Claremont-South Fremantle game. And that almost concludes the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast for yet another week. For those that have listened all the way to the end, thank you very much for your patience for what is yet another very long podcast. A few things to tick off. If you just want to listen to your favourite segment, focusing on your local footy league or the AFLW, uh, you can go to our website warfradio.com and click on podcast just scroll on down and you'll be able to find the segment focusing on your local state league or the aflw again warfradio.com and just click on podcast now we normally plug during this part of the program at the end that we're on rsn carnival 6 p.m no we're no longer on rsn carnival now it's not through any bad will or anything like that uh, rsn 927 have been very kind to donate their airtime to us since 2017 it was a handshake agreement that we're able to use their airtime at no cost to us but unfortunately as we know uh, with COVID 19 and, and the new business environment coming out of it um, rsn did explain to us that if we're to continue on they would need to look at charging us like they do to their other partners that's only fair obviously we reintroduced Unfortunately, we're a volunteer production, and uh, if we did have any uh, financial resources, any sponsors, etc., uh, we would first of all be looking after our volunteers and, and helping them get paid, even if it's a little bit of petrol money, to obviously thank them for their time that they've put in over the years. So, as such, uh, our partnership has come to an end. Again, there is no ill will towards RSN927. They've been a very kind home to us over the last four years. We thank them for being a syndication partner, and maybe, maybe one. Day, if we're lucky that a little bit of good finance falls our way, we can rejoin them again on the air on digital radio. But what does this mean going forward for both the podcast 
and our VFLW Match of the Day uh, coverage. It is all through our website now, WARFradio.com. For this podcast or any of our mini podcasts, you go to WARFradio.com and you click on Podcasts. If you want to listen to our live stream, with the VFLW match of the day this Saturday at 11am we bring you Collingwood versus the Southern Saints from Victoria Park and then on Sunday a double header from 10.30am at La Trobe University we bring you Darabin and Hawthorne and Carlton versus Port Melbourne again you can listen to the live stream by going to WARFradio.com and clicking on live stream and to keep up to date with all our live stream and our podcasts you follow us on social media by going to Instagram, Twitter or Facebook and just putting a slash at the end and going WARF Radio. That stands for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. I'm Peter Holden. Thank you so much for finding our podcast, particularly after leaving RSN. Thank you very much for staying with us and we look forward to your company roughly around this time next week whenever you download your podcast. Until then, it's bye for now.